Today's episode of the Elseworlds Exchange is brought to you by The Sorcerers of Caramine, the debut novel by Scottish author Luke Brady. Now look, I know we all love comics, but occasionally it's good to pick up a full prose novel every now and again, and this one's a doozy with a lot in it for comic book fans, especially if you like magic titles. It's got witches, pirates, and plenty of action. Think Harry Potter meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Basically, it's about a young guy named Perrin who discovers he has magical powers in a world that is tightly controlled by the people in charge. They decide to get rid of him, but he's rescued at the last minute by a pirate ship full of really colorful and entertaining senior citizens who whisk him away and teach him how to use his magic, and then they go on the run together. It's great fun and a really exciting read. You can pick it up from your local Amazon store by going to tinyurl.com slash lukebrady. That's L-U-K-E. B-R-A-D-Y. It's available on paperback, Kindle, or if you prefer an audiobook, it's on both Audible and iTunes. Even better, if you've got Kindle Unlimited, or if it's your first title when you sign up for Audible, you can get it for free. It's a great debut novel, and I think it's going to be the start of a really cool series, so give it a look. The Sorcerers of Caramine by Luke Brady, available at tinyurl.com slash lukebrady. That's L-U-K-E-B-R-A-D-Y. All right, let's get on with the show now. Sweeping down upon the underworld to smash gangland comes the friend of the unfortunate. Enemy of criminals. A mysterious, all-powerful character. A problem to the police. But a crusader for law. Hey everybody, welcome to the Elseworlds Exchange. I'm Sal, and I'm joined today by uh, my lovely co-host, Scott Snyder. He of hey. uh, Justice League The Drowned, Witches, Batman, the current Justice League series, and so much more. Uh, American Vampire, all that. Uh, dude, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me, man. I've been looking forward to it. I love, I love coming on. So I'm, I'm really thrilled we can make it work. Yeah, definitely. We we love having you <laughs> on this first time. Um, so this is apropos that you're here because this episode will be airing on the day that you're going to be launching a couple of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Justice League: The Drowned, uh, number one. Drowned Earth, right? Drowned yeah, Earth, Drowned Earth. Thank you. Uh, comes out uh, today of all days. So pick it up at your local comic book store. And uh, also, which is bad, bad Egg, a uh, not quite sequel, but more like a companion piece. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's sort of like it's sort of a big one shot that bridges the first arc that we did a couple of years ago with the second arc that we're going to do next year. Awesome. So it's sort of like a standalone story you can pick up if you've been reading the series. If you haven't, it should be really easy to easy uh, to sort of jump in, and uh, it's meant to serve as a kind of both a primer and a kind of connective connective narrative between the two big stories we're going to do. And this is uh, this is actually a collection that has already come out, more or less, if you picked up Image Plus magazine. Is that right? Yeah, except for the, the last chapters. They published it up to sort of the last 15 to 20 pages or so. Mm-hmm. So that material is all um, unpublished. But That's really cool. Sort of, we did it um, uh, in conjunction with them because they wanted something to replace the the Walking Dead backups, and so we started writing it on the side as a kind of story for us. Uh, it was almost like a kind of contextual, I guess, sort of uh, added material that we were just doing to sort of set up this character who sort of plays a major part in the second arc. And then we fell in love with the story enough that we decided we just do it. So we've had a blast. Yeah, it's like an 80-page book. It's uh, pretty cheap for what it is, and we're really thrilled to have yeah. it out. I had the privilege of actually getting a chance to leaf through it a little bit early, and I, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, so I'm just going to say, get it. It's awesome. If you loved witches, if you were kind of curious about it, it's a great way to jump in and kind of like understand this universe. Um, I got a little bit of a vibe from this story, particularly uh, this version of the story. Um, 
Are you a Terminator fan by any chance? Oh, I'm a huge Terminator fan. Huge I, Terminator fan. I got kind of like John and Sarah vibes from <laughs> these main characters a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, this it, the arc is really, I mean, Witches is probably the most overtly personal book that I write. Um, you know, I've done other things like After Death and, um, you know, I, all the stories that I'm working on are, are, are pretty intensely personal, but I think Witches is the most um, baldly or sort of openly and confessionally so. So um, one of the things that I think it, you're picking up on is I wanted to do a story. My son, my older son is 11 uh, right now. He was, you know, significantly younger when I wrote, um, which is one and started planning it. And that story was very much told from the point of view of a parent who's sort of terrified of fatherhood. Right. And this story is much more about sort of a, a boy coming to terms with um, approaching adolescence and sort of separating from his parents. And in all the kind of ways that we do in witches, it's sort of blown up into the most black, terrifying horror <laughs> sort of language it can be. Um, but that movie in particular made a really indelible mark on me, uh, Terminator 2, when I was about my son's age. So nice. I still remember my parents actually, it's funny, I was away at this like super athletic um, sports camp and I was like a complete Dungeons and Dragons comics nerd. I was like really out of shape. I was totally, so I was like Piggy and Lord of the Flies on this, in this place. Nice. And, um, um, I knew, yeah, I had this one counselor who every night would read to us from the Stephen King book, Eyes of the Dragon. This was the one thing I looked forward to. And my parents came up and they saw I was miserable. They came up for parents day and you weren't allowed to leave the, um, the premises but they decided that they would take me to see Terminator 2 by basically smuggling me out in the back of the car in a blanket. And I just remember thinking they were the coolest parents in the world, that they literally they just broke the rules, took me out in the back, and we saw Terminator 2, and it was one of the best days of my life. I, yeah, very Sarah Connor, John Connor. Yes. I, I finally got to see that movie in the theaters just actually a couple months ago. They re-released it with this, like, beautiful restoration and they finally put like a cg arnold's face over that uh, stunt double on the motorcycle <laughs> during the trench run right uh, so amazing i wish i could have seen that movie when it first came out and just just that moment when john doesn't know which terminator is the right terminator and you as the audience have no idea unless you watch all the viral marketing campaign that was going on where they're like no arnold's the good guy and you're like oh no no, no. I, when he when they come around the corner in the in the uh in the mall in that hallway in the back and yeah. the rose box drops open and he's got it's just the best yes dude that, i think that might be my, one of my first r-rated movies that i ever saw was, was oh me yeah no well my dad was pretty loose with it it's like my wife is always teasing me because i'm really eager to my older son is so much like me my younger son is more like her and he already wants to be a writer my older son is crazy awesome. and uh, I think it's mostly because he knows that you can just i'm wearing sweatpants like that you just basically never get dressed uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> He's taking it more seriously now, but anyway, um, my wife was always teasing me that all my anxieties and, you know, my battles with the, you know, all that kind of stuff comes from seeing way too many horror movies, way too <laughs> my mother. And I'm like, that's where my strength comes from. That's where all this comes from. So my younger one, we, we, he really looks forward to going on planes together when we take these trips, like father-son trips, because... The movies are relatively edited, so we watched like Terminator 2 on a Delta flight where they cut out the cursing, and <laughs> he was so enthralled. So, but my That's dad, awesome. he, like no filter, alien, aliens, and I love him for it. So thank you, yes. Dad. Uh, 
the it's funny you mentioned Stephen King and uh, his influence as well. I actually I got a kind of Stephen King vibe from the whole like let's publish wishes, which is kind of like a short story in a magazine, which is kind of like how King got his start as well, where he was like publishing these kind of like amazing horror short stories that like every chapter came out in a different magazine uh, issue. And yeah, he's, he's just a huge influence. I mean, I was I was lucky enough to get to know him pretty well. No shit. I was starting out, and then we did American Vampire together. So. Right work together on that and he was just he's such a great guy so he's he's very funny too he's like very he's very Stephen King and loves being Stephen King in a way like I remember my wife and I a few years ago we were driving through Florida and he he saw I was driving through Florida and social media and he wrote and said you should stop by I'm in in Sarasota and come by and this is the address and so we went to the house and it was this big glass house on a bluff and um you know, he made us microwave spaghetti, and I remember he was like, just move that. Will you do me a favor? He's getting out of the microwave. He's like, move that piece of shit off the table, will you? And it was literally like the script to the, te- the under the dome and that stuff. And I remember being like, uh, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then he's like, oh, you know, I love it out here. Let's go take a walk on this pier. And we go out on this pier that's like all rickety going out to the ocean and you're on this kind of steep ocean bluff and he brings a lantern (laughs) behind and it's just like he knows that you know you're on like a rickety creek, like a rickety boardwalk over like a death defiant, you know, drop with Stephen King with a lantern and just, you know, it's, he's very, he's, he's a wonderful dude and and incredibly, incredibly generous. So yeah, he, he, he's very baked into the DNA of a lot of what I do. Okay. Just out of curiosity, favorite uh, favorite two or three King novels of all time? Well, Sem- Pet Cemetery is, I think, the scariest book that I've ever read, and really? it's my favorite. Um, it's my favorite for its brutality, the same way, you know, my favorite, I, lo- I love horror, um, and I've loved it since I was a kid, um, just because I, I was a kid, and I, you know, I'm still an adult with a lot of um, anxiety issues, and for me, weirdly enough, horror was almost deeply comforting where I would watch these kind of terrifying films. And I think as a kid, I didn't realize it, but it was almost like when horror is done right, the characters are facing things that are extensions of their worst fears or their fears about the world or themselves. And ultimately sort of whether they overcome those fears or they don't, there's sort of an, an affirmation of strength in just sort of getting through a story that addresses that. It's almost the purest form of conflict to me, you know, when you're facing something that's a monstrous and terrifying raw version of the things that keep you up at night. Sure. So um, I really was enthralled by horror from a very young age and just the, the books and the things that I gravitated towards, like Night of the Living Dead was the first movie. And I had this, we grew up in, I grew up in New York City in the Lower East Side and <laughs> There was a movie theater, a movie uh, a video rental place that was notorious called the Video Stop on 26th Street and 3rd Avenue. It was there just still a few years ago, and they would um, they wouldn't rent R-rated movies to kids, but they would deliver them if you called. So, okay. right. So we all knew this. It was like a neighborhood secret, and we watched every slasher horror movie in the 80s that you could get your hands on: Sleepaway Camp 2 to Pumpkinhead to whatever. Yeah. And Night of the Living Dead, I remember getting, and um, sorry to be down like a rabbit hole. No, but, no, yeah, that's what the show is. <laughs> but the um, Night of the Living Dead, I remember getting and being so disappointed because it was black and white, and I was like, you know, 11 years old or 10, I was like, oh, this is going to suck. And the cruelty of it, yeah. the fact that it suddenly, it was all about sort of the monsters as this 
sort of pressure cooker that brought out the worst aspects of humanity, the worst aspects of the characters. At a time, I realized, even, you know, at that time too, was the movie was made at this tumultuous time and all of this stuff, and was reflective of that. Stephen King, for me, Pet Cemetery was the book that sort of had that same level of brutality and just down, mean, just terrifying sort of um, nihilistic kind of, you know, conflict. Yeah. Um, so, so Pet Cemetery is my favorite, the same way like Night of Living Dead's favorite movie. Um, uh, horror movie, um, The Stand, for it's just giant, immersive. That just captured me forever. Eyes of the Dragon played a big part in my wanting to be a writer. Um, and honestly, The Body. I mean, the Four Seasons was huge for me. I read that when I was young, all of them, from The Ghost Story uh, to, uh, yeah, to The Body. The um, uh, Night Shift, Skeleton Crew, his short stories, you know, the were really big. Um, I don't know, they're... they're very few books of his that I haven't read, but my favorite, I would have to say, Salem. I mean, um, Pet Cemetery, and then The Stand, probably. Nice. Yeah, everything. That's actually kind of telling, actually, a little bit. Uh, just the the macabre nature of what you infuse into some of your, like, even just standard, like, just Batman prose, where it's like just there's this deep, dark, I don't know, like you said, nihilistic approach to the like how the world is versus how your protagonist has to like react to it. I can get yeah. to that. Plus the, the expansive nature of the stand. Um, well, I, 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 I love I love the stand for its unpredictability and its huge, soapy Americana sort of um, just expansiveness. You know, it's I, I love it. Um, and flag the introduction for me, realizing that the character I had heard about in Eyes of the Dragon, which was my first exposure to any sort of big novel, um, you know, read serially. Yeah, uh, was the same character that was in that, and then the same character possibly was in Needful Things, and yeah. it really captured my imagination in that way, and made me a Stephen King fan. The whole lexicon that he was, you know, using character-wise, the whole kind of language of his storytelling, it kind of crossed book to book. The Castle Rock stuff, all of it, just yeah. totally. I was completely, um, you know, just taken with it, and then getting to know him, I mean, if there was one writer I could have picked, you know, that was the bigger, there's no writer that was a bigger influence on me there over the entire sort of course of my course of my life. I mean, there are people that have meant more at particular moments, but in terms of the longevity and somebody who's been with me from the beginning to now, yeah. in terms of the books that have influenced me, he's really um, there. Can, is that, you can hear the washing machine, right? I can, but that's, I mean, like, we'll just We'll just ignore it. It's like a really weird song when it's done. I don't know. We just we just sort of redid everything in this house, and it's it's still completely alien to me. But. Everything that I have has was was built in like nineteen you know ninety six. So like I, <laughs> whenever I go to a new house, like everything sings a song. So I totally get the. Uh... <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's very it's sort of like cheers you up and it's off putting all at once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like <laughs> creepy uh, music box kind of music. Yeah, I'm always waiting for it to like start that song and then change, and I'll realize it's become sentient. Right. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, just just transitioning a little bit because which is this it's just this incredible work, um, and you know, Bad, Bad Eggs coming out sequel is coming out after that at some point in the future. I don't want to you know get too deep into yeah, it. Yeah, well that was my deal with Jock. So we have the Batman Who Laughs starting in December. Yes. Which is sort of my return to pure horror within the DCU. Mm -hmm. uh, 
which I'm excited about. Um, I've been planning that one for a while, and that's also with Jock. And it's really my darkest Batman story. It's the darkest one that I've told. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's huge, and it's got everybody's got black, you know, everybody from Two-Face to uh, Penguin and Black Mask and James Jr. and nice. Joker. Everybody's in it. It's sort of a spiritual sequel to The Black Mirror. Um, but it takes a lot of pieces of some of the stuff that I've done with Greg and then also in metal and, but it's, it's really dark and mean. Um, but my one sort of stipulation to Jock when I was talking about the possibility of doing it now was that we take zero time off between that and doing Witches 2, which we had already begun when we started doing this. Mm -hmm. So, um, he's more than happy with that. So we're, uh, Moving straight from Batman Who Laughs, which is December, January, February, March, April, May, to um, Witches. Awesome. Uh, so it will be sort of probably, I would think, like Halloween, about a year from now, will be in arc two. Wow, cool. So, yeah. um, dude, Batman Who Laughs, uh, just the. Okay, so where does the inception begin for. Metal versus the Batman. I mean, Batman Who Laughs feels like that could have been its own thing. Yeah. Versus everything else that happened in Dark Knight's Metal. Well, it's really funny, dude, because um, there's sort of sometimes when you. Well, I'm not. I'm not the best corporate wise, and um, I'm doing like a video about this actually on my little channel I'm starting now about sort of the rocky moments early in my career where it took me a while to even get my head around the fact that it's sort of a corporate environment and I'm conscious. Um, and I'm not very good at sort of pitching my events or my arcs to people internally. I'm good with my editors, but when it comes to sort of the bigger pressures of when you're doing an event or you're doing a Batman story that's supposed to tie to other books, you have to kind of go there and do stuff the equivalent of like a PowerPoint in front of like people in suits and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, with metal, you know, I gave them this whole pitch about why I thought it was really important to do at that moment, to bring back the fun to sort of big bombastic events, but why it was very personal. It's about Batman finding himself at a moment when all he looks around and all he sees are failed versions of himself and why he has to get through that. And it was this long poetic speech. And I remember, looking at these terribly blank faces being like, and then all I had to do was like put up the picture of the Batman who laughs from Greg and they were like, so all right, we got it. <laughs> so it's just very funny to me how there's, there's sort of like the, the math that they need. That's kind of the big, sexy, bombastic commercial math of it. And then there's, you know, your pitch. I've gotten better at it. Um, but for me, the Batman who laughs, um, wasn't just a hook. Uh, I knew once I saw the design that he would be the selling point of metal and that the evil Batman would be the selling point. Right. But it didn't start with them. It, it started with the idea of creating a, a mystery that would span, you know, um, all of sort of human history that Batman would sort of pick up from Hawkman and discover uh, that uh, he would discover basically that he was at the center of it and that all of human history was about to lead to his great failure and that he was set up not to be someone who pushed the kind of fire forward or, or pushed sort of, you know, uh, humanity forward, but was it's the wagon for its, its downfall. Right. So I wanted him to, to get to a, a moment that really mirrored what it feels like when you're just at your blackest point, when you're depressed, when you're, you just feel like you're, you know, at the end of your rope. Uh, and so the Batman who laughs to me was, 
the absolute most nightmarish character I could possibly create for him to go up against. And, you know, I kept thinking to myself, Joker is terrifying and I love writing Joker, but Joker is very Batman focused, at least our version of him. You know, he's very, he's sort of diametrically opposed. He's constantly trying to prove a point to Batman, which is an evil, horrifying, terrible point that life is meaningless, that all of it's a big joke, all of that stuff. Um, but he, he's focused on sort of, you know, the, the theatrics of making everyone see this, especially Batman. Right. The Batman who laughs to me is scary because he's actually the embodiment of the things the Joker is saying. He's, he's this sort of completely, um, uh, you know, uh, apex predator sort of character who says, I don't care about anybody. All I care about is winning. And I have all of Batman's strategic uh, capabilities and I have the blackest heart possible. And I am a human great white shark. There's no one that can beat me because I've already thought of a hundred ways to kill them. Um, and the only purpose in life is to win, to survive. And that's it. And that was the lesson learned in the alley that his parents should have had a way of, should have known a way to survive that, to win. And that's it. And so for me, that's way more terrifying than the Joker as much as I, I mean, there are different kinds of terrifying, but I love writing the Batman who laughs because he's darker than the Joker for me, because he's willing to do things that have nothing to do with Batman. And he's willing to do things. There's a line almost Batman for me with the Joker that the Joker is still loves Batman in a way where they're, they're two sides of the same coin. The Batman who laughs doesn't give a shit about either of them. He's, all he cares about is sort of winning and moving on to the next thing. Um, and so he's really, really scary. He is sort of the embodiment of all things evil to me. Right. Yeah. And it's what he's, it's funny, dude, I'm not to get again too off point, but one of the things I'm trying to do this year is, um, make sure not even just this year, but since I signed on to do metal, cause when I went in to do metal, it was a really big recommitment to DC. It was when my contract was up last time, you know, and I was sort of thinking to myself, if I'm going to do this, I want to try and build a two to three year plan where I'm going to go all in with metal. It's going to set up no justice, which will set up justice league and these other sister books. And then we're going to build something even bigger. So not to, not to spoiler, I'm not supposed to say, but we're building, we're building towards things that sort of bring all of these different, pieces back together for something summer into fall of 2019. And for me, each thing is sort of a different prismatic kind of look at some similar ideas. So the Batman who laughs as a series and as a character, but you know, as a mini series itself with Jock is very much about sort of what, um, that character coming to Batman and saying, I know what really makes you happy and it's not what you think it is. Mm. And it has more to do with sort of what your nature is, what our nature is. And, you know, as, as a, as a species, and I'm going to prove it to you. Um, but you, well, I'm going to prove it to you as I just do what I want. Meaning like, I don't care if you get it or you don't get it, but you know, <laughs> this is what's, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, in justice league, Lex Luthor is sort of, looking at a similar problem from a different angle, he learns that, spoiler, that um, the universe had sort of a different origin than we think, and that humanity used to be something much more sort of powerful with more agency. And he is incredibly 
elated by this and, and, and vindicated and validated and feels like I knew it. I knew we weren't this small and now I'm going to prove it and sort of, you know, um, uh, take over. And what I'm doing with Greg Capullo, the last night on earth book for black label sort of shows the consequences of that thinking, but each one is separate. You can read them and they're not one huge continuity story. But on the other hand, um, they are almost in a way where they're, they're all sort of looks at, you know, that, that's what I mean by it being personal. I really feel like the kind of biggest challenges right now have to do with this kind of subjective navel gazing, almost selfish kind of subjectivity and wrapping yourself in a view that has to do with sort of reinforcing only the things that you already think and yeah. care about versus this kind of, sense of trying to recognize this the smallness of your own your own um experience and being part of a sort of story that's much bigger than yourself and those two things at war regardless of your politics regardless of your um you know your your um your ideology and that plays out across multiple books at once so for me it's almost like the batman who laughs is the blackest darkest version of the thing that i'm looking at from different i guess angles in different uh stories throughout the year so this kind of recommitment to dc from 2017 to 2019 into 20 for me was all right well i have a plan where not only do we get to build this very big architecture between and I'm gonna I'm gonna make one of those homemade charts I think soon that will sort of point it out but that goes from yeah metal no justice you know new justice meaning the three Justice League books to Batman laughs to a book we're about to announce in a month to a couple other things and to tell one big Hickman esque kind of huge math story. Um, I like that internally you guys call it Hickman esque because the rest of us do oh, too. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah well but outside of and outside of those books that are literally connected getting to use DC, the DC characters as um, a means to explore, you know, similar, um, I guess, similar darknesses, you know, similar, and and aspirations too, because the characters are what make you brave in the face of all this stuff, you know, that's their job. But I'm sorry, I feel like I'm going in. No, this is like the nature of the show uh, normally is we take one topic and then see where it goes. And so, you know, like the topic kind of is like, Snyder's view, it seems like. So we're going to sure. go in that direction. Yeah, let's do it. Just see, like, I like, like, yeah, I could answer like one question, and then it'll just it'll be the whole show. I, I completely hear you. I'm I'm in a very <laughs> similar boat. Uh, it actually kind of feels not unlike your, um, your approach to events, if you can call it that. How they organically like kind of morph to the next one. Like Drowned Earth feels mm-hmm. like it could be an event. But it also could just be a story arc, the way that like Grant Morrison's Justice League was, where like every story was the most epic, biggest Justice League story you could possibly imagine, and yet it was for him it was just issue thirty-seven, you know. Right. And so it's kind of interesting how you know this story is in and of itself like kind of in, in its own event, but because it doesn't have all the trappings of an event, even though it kind of does because there's tie-ins and everything like that. But it it feels organic, it feels earned, and yes. it feels like it flows. Well, I, I really wanted, I mean, Justice League is sort of the book that I've been waiting to do since I was a kid. I mean, Batman, I've said it before, but Batman will always be my favorite character um, and the ride of a lifetime. I mean, that, that book is, I mean, he's my favorite character in literature, not just comics. Yeah. Um, 
But Justice League is the book for me that represents kind of the heart and soul of the DC universe because it obviously it incorporates all those all the big characters. Um, so I wanted every arc to have that level of bombast and ambition that you know is there. And my favorite runs on the book like Grant's and you know Jeffs and Jims and Brad Meltzer's and Mark Wade's and all that stuff. But that sense of especially with Grant, that sense of grandeur and majesty and just really ambition. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, the first arc had everybody in it. I wanted to just sort of blow the doors off and be like, this is the scope of this series, this is the reach of it, this is the, you know, this is the kind of, um, this is the mission statement. Um, and then after that, it, now we're getting to do these arcs like Drowned Earth, which focus on two to three characters at a time, really dig into kind of the emotional connectivity between them, um, but also the mission is to expand two to three characters mythologies every arc right. because the story allows it because it's literally about the multiverse beginning to fall apart the heart of the multiverse the totality landing on earth and the legion of doom and the justice league racing to unlock it to figure out what the meaning of everything is yeah. <laughs> how to sort of take our version of an infinity gauntlet you know first before the other team does so it's it's huge stakes that will build to something that can change the whole, you know, might change a lot in DCU. Yeah. Um, but so it allows for that, but, but I wanted it to feel grand every arc so that the first arc we discover that there's an ultraviolet, you know, infrared, sort of an invisible emotional spectrum. Through Green Lantern's mythology, we discover there's a still force, kind of an opposing force to the speed force for Flash. And then second arc now we're discovering that Aquaman's powers have a connection to something much more primal. It's not just about sort of suggesting things to fish or talking to fish. It's about the connectivity that all life feels. Um, it's something uh, aspirational and, and that versus, you know, um, uh, an opposing force that we're going to reveal. I'm, I'm already spoiling too much through right, Black yeah. <laughs> the evil sea gods. And, and, you know, we find out Wonder Woman has sort of a, a bigger aspect to, to her mythology than you thought in both Justice League Dark and here with the great, we introduced the graveyard of gods where all dead gods go. And so I wanted every arc to feel, yeah, like an event. Um, but at the same time, now that the first arc is done that has all kind of eight to nine characters in it, um, we can really drill down and get to explore some of the members of the league and their relationships and sort of the conflicts internally and between them a lot more, um, I think a lot more in depth, mm -hmm. but you know, part of the mission with the book is, is to make every arc feel special. And I really want it to feel like you can pick up drowned earth and be like, this is the best Aquaman story I've read in a while. You know what I mean? And not, I, I'm not that, I mean, just different than what Dan is doing and all that. Cause I love what, Dan is doing and none of it is a knock on anything that anyone else is doing but if I go in I'm going to try and write the best thing I I mean I am not phoning it in I'm this is this is my commitment because one of the one of the things that you know I, I get I get if I get stressed out about anything about my level of sort of um, involvement at DC I don't mind the pressure anymore I don't mind the the, the, the sort of fan pressure any of that stuff. I mean, I'm over it. I've developed a thick skin and I'm, I'm confident. I'm, I'm, I'd rather sort of swing for the fence and miss, you know, Absolutely. And, well, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that kind of gets to me is I'm not doing as much creator owned as I would like, which I plan to do after, 
after this kind of big round of stuff that I'm talking about, like after a year from now, I, it's not, I'm not going to quit, but I mean, I just want to, I need to refocus on, on more creator owned stuff as well. So I'm going all in, meaning if I'm in DC this year into next year, for the next whatever, yeah, it's got my everything. So each arc is meant to be something that feels like the most sort of out of control, but emotional, you know, saga that we can do with two to three characters in this league possible. So going to introduce new concepts, going to expand their mythologies, all of it. So if you're not reading Drowned Earth, just to give you my elevator pitch, um, out there, it's out now. Um, and it is literally about Aquaman discovering that it, Atlantis back when it was sort of a, a great civilization before it sank, um, had a hero named Orion or Arion, uh, who's in, you know, some great Aquaman stories of the past. And he, with Poseidon's help, fought off an invasion from these sea gods that came here to steal Poseidon's trident and, and sort of take over nascent life on oceans across these, the galaxy and different planets that were just forming. And they banished them to the graveyard of gods and the Legion of Doom opens up that graveyard and those gods come here and flood the earth with this alien ocean that basically turns anyone into kind of a fish zombie monster that they can control. Um, Takes over, uh, Aquaman loses his power as the Black Manta, Batman is in a full body cast inside the Hall of Justice talking to a baby Starro in a jar called Jaro. Jaro. Half the heroes are off on Thanagar Prime. It's just out of control comic book lunacy. Yeah. But it's a story that means a lot to me. It, it's a very in-depth look at what Aquaman's powers represent, what Wonder Woman is about. And um, it has consequences that sort of then set up some of the stuff that Kelly Sue's going to do, all of it. So, yeah, we just I want you to feel like this book gives you more than you pay for every issue all the time. It really does. Like it, It's funny how when I first picked up... Um, no, Justice felt the same way, but just just getting pure Justice League number one, it felt like you were getting a lot but it wasn't an overwhelming amount sometimes you know like i remember back in the day you know like in the 90s when people would just be like well we got 32 pages i gotta cram it it was a lot less uh, decompressed storytelling so it was like put everything into the first issue or everything into the one issue and it felt kind of overwhelming but this one it, it's it's a good balance thanks man i mean that's my i would much rather err on the side of over like super hyper compression than err on the side of decompression right now comics to me are exorbitantly expensive um yeah. You know, I am lucky enough that I have an account with DC. I get, I get my comics through comiXology. You know, we, I have a corporate account so I, I can, but if I didn't have that, honestly, I would, I don't know how I would afford, I mean, I you know, I get to write it off, but it's not much. <laughs> yeah. I have no, I just have no idea how I would have been able to handle it at no. all financially. Yeah. So my, I, I mean, I do think about that, honestly, like as, as I'm writing these. So I want it to feel like I, I would much rather have you leave feeling like that was a lot to handle than have you leave feeling like, oh, he stretching, you know, one issue into two. Yeah. Well, my biggest nightmare is and my friends all tease me about it because I've certainly erred on that side before where I've put in, you know, too much and it's been at the expense of certain things. I completely get it. But I would rather make that mistake than the opposite at totally. any point. That's fair. Yeah, um, right? Right? I mean, uh, man. Okay, so Aquaman drowned. Oh, um, apropos, you mentioned something about the uh, your, your black label book with Capullo. Yeah. Um, I don't want you to spoil anything, but can you I'll give spoil. us a little bit of a, of a pitch it. about it? So I'll spoil, yeah, I'll spoil it. Why not? Well, let's no, do- let's not ruin it, but I mean... <laughs> 
I, I'm more I'm interested in when they when DC announced the Black Label. I was really really excited about the prospect, about the pitches, about the ideas, and I don't want to get into the politics of what happened with uh, Damned and everything, but A, did it affect you guys? And B, so what is your thing about? No, it, A, let me just talk about that for a split second because I got I get some weird shit online sometimes where like I, I'm, I used to be very open about um, everything that crossed my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, then... It just, it was sort of, it was a couple of years ago where I started to realize that a lot of it was a waste of time on Twitter and that stuff in terms of just arguing. I mean, because I would go back and forth in DMs forever and, and I had some really healthy conversations and I'm always there. If someone, my DMs are open and I shouldn't even say it, but, um, you know, if anyone, if anyone ever has an issue with something that they, they want to take up with me with the books or with anything, I'm, you know, I try and be responsive and with politics, when it's election time, all that stuff, I'm, I dive in. Um, but, uh, people will come at me with, with crazy stuff sometimes about the characters where they're like in this character and it'll be characters I have nothing to do with. Or anything. Right. So the Dan, now that I have a little bit more of a, cause I have a, I have a, a, you know, I'm a little bit more visible at DC than I used to be. I mean, I'm doing event stuff for them. I have a, I have a corporate contract with them on, in addition to my writing contract, that's about the development of events and it allows me to teach the class and train new talent. And so I'm more Mr. DC than I've been in the past. Um, so I think people sometimes lump me in with like in their tweets, not like, not that this is rational, but I mean, in their, in sort of the, the, you know, the casual way, they'll be like, Jim Lee, you, Jeff Johns, what's going on with this? Right. You know, I yeah. would, you, like, I have, I don't, I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> like, you know, fair. but, um, why is Suicide Squad the movie this? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, yet, I just dude. got it on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. But um, the with the Damned, I got a lot of a lot of you know criticism. People were at me. That's bizarre. You didn't. Yeah. Work. No, I know. But they would be like, "You at DC, you're so callous," and da da da. And they'll, you know, I get I get it from the you guys are so political, whatever. And I'll go back and forth and be like, "Where? You know, right. what where, what are you talking about?" But um, with The Damned, the thing that's, to me, so paradoxical about the whole thing is that, you know, Lee Bermejo and Brian Azzarello are the last people I could possibly think of artistically and narratively that would do anything for a stunt, that would do anything for, like, a a salacious, you know, hey, let's get a newsworthy thing. They are, I mean, Brian is notorious for being the opposite, and so is Lee. I mean, Lee lives in Italy and is, you know is wholly devoted to his craft and he's very private. I mean, there's no, there's no sort of like, I'm PT Barnum about my shit when I need to be. And I'll be out there being like juggling the balls in the air and, you know, flaming hoops and come look at metal. Um, But um, they are not. So the controversy about the damned in terms of it being something that um, was like a a stunt is, is really silly because those guys would never do that. Oh yeah. But I understand in some ways, like, the knee-jerk reaction to the idea that, you know, Batman is a character who who has a lot of different platforms, some for kids, some for whatever, and, and showing him naked is, you know, a shocking thing. That said, I do think that there's, uh, there's a, a place for, and there should always be a place for mature stories. I mean, Batman, Dark Knight Returns, if you look at it, has some extremely dark stuff. If you go back and look at 
Joker and Selena. You look at, there's a lot of stuff in there that you sort of, I think I, you know, Joker killing multiple Boy Scouts with gas. I mean, there's a lot of extremely dark stuff. Um, And I think there needs to be a place to be able to tell those stories. I just think, you know, we have to be careful about making sure there's a, a very strong delineation between this sort of area of our, you know, our, our line and this kind of area. So there's no overlap where people don't get confused and be like, yeah. wait, this is, this is Batman. My kids read Batman and so on. So that was the concern. Uh, it, didn't yeah. affect, it, it didn't affect us at all. I mean, it doesn't affect me and Kulo in any way. Um, our book is, we're, the book is three 50 page chapters and he's just finishing the first one now. Um, so he'll be done. And then we have another project lined up that I'm really excited about. I just, we were just, I was just in a, in uh, 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 I don't even remember where anymore. Cause it's like con to con to con. Yeah. Um, but I was just with him at a con and, and going over it with him and we're both really, really excited. Um, but we have a, a creator owned thing and we have a DC thing both lined up, but the, uh, uh, the black label book, it basically, when I started on Batman, I had a lot of, um, just a lot of, a lot of anxieties. I mean, I, I didn't think I'd be writing Batman. I never thought that I would break in as fast as I did. Yeah. I had struggled in the book world for a really long time. And then I had finally started to make a name for myself. And I was, I was just starting to do well when, um, comics suddenly opened the doors to me. And so I always felt that comics was what I had wanted to do from when I was a kid. Um, but I had just spent all this time building a book career. And so I was very sort of trepidatious about giving all of that up for, for comics. And then once I did, I did when I was on detective, I was like, you know what, this is what I've always wanted to do. I'm just going to go for it and just do it. Um, I still expected to, to, take it very slow and learn the craft better. And I didn't want to be in the spotlight. Grant was Batman, you know, um, Tony Daniel was Batman. I was going to be like the smaller guy. I was happy to, to be in the shadows more. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of a sudden they were like, it's Batman number one. I I signed on to do Batman before I knew it was Batman number one. I thought Grant was still going to be doing more, you know, all of it. So I didn't handle it particularly well, I think in terms of my, um, you know, my personal life, it, it really, it threw me for a tremendous loop. So I promise I have a point. Um, so those first couple of years, I, I really didn't, I just, I was a bit of a monster, I think, at cons and all that stuff. And Grant Morrison um, saw me at San Diego and he just saw that I was really just scared and upset and just all over the place. And he pulled me aside. He did it a few times and this was really meant a lot to me. And he was like, this is what you need to do. He was like, you know, I was, I was at the time, I think I was just starting like death of the family. and I still wasn't dealing well with all this, the success of Batman and that mm-hmm. stuff. He was like, you need to give your character a birth and you need to give him a death. And if you do those things, you will own your version of Batman the way I do mine. And you will not worry anymore the way you are about do more people know Batman better than me because they always will know Batman better than you. There are always going to be people that just are scholars that know it, but your version will be your version and it will be singular to you and you will feel confident. And so that's when I decided to do zero year, you know, right then Um, DC had been pushing me to do origin stuff, but that was when I'm going to give him a birth, you know? 
yeah. and get about what I want my kids to be brave um, in the face of, you know, th- through Batman. So it's, it's translated into kind of the language of comic book, you know, insanity, but it's about gun violence and terrorism and all that stuff. The Red Hood gang in that book is very much about popping up and causing random violence, you know, which is violence. And ter- Riddler is sort of a terrorist who takes over and there's super storms. And anyway, and this version, this book, um, Last Night on Earth, that I'm doing with Greg, is the death. It's sort of the book that I started planning around that same time. I've had it in my head for a number of years. And it's sort of the end of our, it's, it's the last story that, that sort of shows where our Batman winds up about 20, 25 years in the future. So I'm really proud of it. It's insanely out there. It opens with, I'm just going to spoil it. It opens with um, Batman. He's on a case and uh, somebody has been sort of drawing every day around Gotham, a piece of a chalk line uh, in different blocks, different areas of the city. And he's been sort of following this with curiosity as he's sort of noticed it's been going on because the chalk is sort of a rare, a rare sort of calcite. And he notices that it it's makes a dead Batman sort of outline, like a police outline. Yeah. And that the heart is in Crime Alley. And so he goes to Crime Alley the day it's finished and he finds a, a, a boy uh, under the lamppost and he goes over and looks at him and it's a corpse and the corpse shoots him, uh, has a gun mechanism in its hand and he suddenly wakes up and he's in Arkham and, uh, and, uh, he's sort of, you know, he's bewildered and he's what's going on. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden his doctor kind of leans over him and he says, you know, Bruce, thank God we finally found a drug that that's broken through to you. Um, you've been here 20 years, you know, and he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, ever since you killed your parents in the alley, you've been here. Mm-hmm. And Bruce is like, this is insane. I know this, you're the Joker. I know this is trick, whatever. And they're like sedate him and they take him back to his cell and he, he's in a padded cell and he's trying to get out, find a Batman sort of escape route. Yeah. He finds a tear in the fabric and he looks in the little hole in the fabric and he finds a penny and a little toy dinosaur. And then he's like, oh. no. And that's the beginning. So, and it, it gets super crazy. I mean, it's him traveling across the sands with the living head of the Joker inside of a jar, who's like the Greek chorus of the story. So it's super out there. I mean, Bane's in it, Scarecrow, everybody yowls. It's like, it really is like everything in one place. And it might be, it might, it, I'm, it's one of those ones where I'm like, this is either the best thing I've done or <laughs> it's a total like a complete misfire, but I really feel confident. And I can tell you this, like the one thing about me and Greg is that, um, we have never gotten the chance to work not under the boot of tremendous deadline crunch and pressure Yeah. or Batman. I mean, the thing just to like, the, the, I always, I say people get mad at me and they'll yell at me again on Twitter where I'll, when I say that the time between the end of Batman, like our last couple arcs and, now is the best time I've ever had at DC because they're like, what about Cordovales and what about, and I'm like, that I am as proud of that stuff as I am of anything I've ever done in my life, so it's not that. But the pressure of Batman when you're starting out, Batman is the book that literally is the litmus test for them as to how the line is doing. Yeah. So the month in, month out, every month, making sure it stays above 100,000, doing stuff that's intensely personal to you, that breaks the mold a little bit, that does stuff that's different, that's yours, taking the risk, having fans, you know, get upset. All that stuff is, 
when you're starting, because I was green when I was doing Batman, it was just intense. You know, there's a lot of periods of, especially at the beginning, like I was saying, where I really, I really didn't handle it well, you know, and I drank too much and fought too much with editorial and was a deliberately almost, I think, trying to self-destruct with it um, at cons, all kinds of stuff. And it really took a couple bad moments for me. Um, there's one, I'm, it's in the video I was telling you about where I'm doing one that's about cons, but yeah. it's one of the big, the, the most sort of, I think, um, the most revelatory moment for me at con was right at the height of this when I was doing Death of the Family and I was, I was really just, the pressure of all of it was just a lot. And they, we, it was New York Comic Con, and I went, and I was already. I was also doing Superman Unchained, I think. Yes. So it was like, it was just a lot. It was like working with Jim Lee and all this stuff. Yeah, you're only working with like the titans of the industry, and also the two biggest characters that DC has. So why wouldn't it be a huge amount of pressure on your shoulders? Yeah, it was just too much. You know, it was too much, and and um. And it's the New Fifty Two. They had a lot to prove that time. Like it was a lot of. There's a lot of like. <laughs> you're in public and everybody's yeah. kind of like scrutinizing what you're doing. Yeah. And I had a one year old also, oh, like we had another, we had another kid, yeah. you know? So, um, it was just a lot. And, um, the, uh, I, I went to the DC party and they had drinks named after all of the series that we were doing that were sort of, you know, like just fun character puns and stuff like that. But okay. there were like five or six named after things like American vampire, Superman Unchained, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to try all those. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. And um, Dan DiDio is sort of like my, my crazy uncle. We're very, we're very close, honestly, in real life. But we've had our fights. And at this particular moment, he had done something um, editorially with Superman Unchained that really had upset me um, in terms of schedule stuff. And I, I went after him and I was like, Dan, you know what? And I, I, you know, I, was, I was a little bit tipsy and I was like, Dan, da, 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 and I'm pointing at him and, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, you know, you need to learn that this isn't going to stand. I'm not going to put up with this. And blah, 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 blah. And somebody kind of pulled me, I think it was a uh, Lee Lowridge colorist came and put his hand on my arm and I kind of threw him off and was like, I'm talking to Dan. Da, da, da. And then my wife was like, come on, let's go. So anyway, so I left the party and, the Marvel party is sort of across town. It's maybe 15 blocks away. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to the Marvel party. Fuck that. You know? And so I went to the Marvel party. And uh, by the time I got to the Marvel, I took a cab. By the time I got to the Marvel party, which was maybe eight minutes, 10 minutes, mm-hmm. everybody at that party had heard that I had been in a fight with Dan DiDio. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it was not just that I had been in an argument. It was that I had physically been threatening. Yeah. That I was like, Constrained, right? And it was immediately like cold water on your face. And I got a call from Tom Brevoort the next day, who I was only. This is so inside the Beltway shit, but I'm just going for it. Yeah. Um, who was uh, I, I knew because I really knew because he he goes to the same comic store I do out here, um, Fourth World, oh. and I had met him before I had got broken in, and so he had always been a little bit paternal to me about stuff. Um, but he, he called and he was like, you need to get your act together. Like you, you are doing really well. And on the other hand, you're doing not well at all and you have to stop. And it was extremely, um, transformative. And so, uh, 
yeah, it was, um, that was a moment. I, I have no, I don't even remember now where I began this, the answer to, I don't even remember what answer I'm on anymore. No, I, don't, I, I mean, I think it's more just, we were talking about, um, Oh, it was the Capullo. Capullo, I, the, the book, the Black Label book. Right. So, um, uh, I think it was talking about sort of my anxieties and why Grant told me to do a, a death. You know, a death. Um, but what I'd say is this story sort of for me is kind of all of the, I guess all of the things that I've wanted to say about Batman and what he's meant to me and what he's helped me through and all that kind of stuff stripped with the pressures stripped away. Right. And so again, um, going back to that's where I was, I was talking about sort of the pressure of Batman and how I didn't handle it well. always, the other thing that I'm leaving out is that Capullo was the one who really helped me through it. Like, cause there were periods, not only was I sort of acting out, but that I would go into a hole where I was really insecure and I'd be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, when is everyone going to figure out I'm a fraud, blah, 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 right, yeah. I have these complete crashes and you know, I'd still be writing, but I just wouldn't be well. And he saw it and he would call me up, come to, you know, hang out with me, make me go out with him and just, you know, really picked me up. And so the thing that I'm so grateful for both metal, by the time we got to metal, I'm, you know, I've, I've learned how to handle all this stuff a lot better and I'm, I haven't had any kind of real, you know, down moments in quite a while, but, um, and I have a thicker skin and I'm, you know, all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm, I'm older, I'm an old man now, but, um, the thing that I love about working on the black label book intensely, uh, is that we don't have those pressures. We can make something in a cave and if we don't like a page or I don't like a story beat, we can redo it. And there's no, there's no sort of, you need to get this done and everybody's looking at it. And if you don't get it done, it's a week late. And if it's a week late, this much money is lost and these people get in trouble. And there's all that all the time. And then when you do metal, I mean, metal, we had time to make, but once you start making it, I mean, that pressure, and it's not like, you know, what was me? It's a dream job. Oh yeah. That pressure is tremendous because your your story is holding up a, a huge portion of, of the quarterly profit. And if you screw that up, that's a lot of people's jobs, you know. Not that they're gonna get fired, but that they're just they're you know, they take a hit for believing in what you pitch them. Yeah. So that's marketing and foreign editions and collected editions and publicity and you know, everything, editorial obviously, and there's just a huge ecosystem that you're is on you. So Black Label, to me, the beauty of it is that we're able to make this book without any of that kind of math behind it and just make something that we love. And I can tell you this, like Greg's art is so rich. I have no, no better word for it than rich in terms of it's always detailed and, you know, incredibly sort of um, crafted and fine point. Yeah. This, there's a lushness to it that's there that he can sort of, fill in and texture things in ways that he hasn't, I think on our monthly stuff that's, I'll send you some, honestly, that's really inspiring. I I mean, it's, it's the sparest I've ever been with like words or captions or anything. I just, want to cover anything. I I could see the, uh, yeah, the, the, where you're like, you have this big thing and you're like, okay, here you go, Greg. And then he sends it back to you and it's like, Oh well, crap. Okay. We'll have the words because this is a beautiful double page splash. There, of- there's just a, there's a scene where Batman crawls out of the sand and he's wearing this kind of homemade Batman costume and his hand comes out and 
the amount of detail in the sand and in the hand. Everything else, I said to him, and it was a blob page, which he uses that term when he was teaching me when I first started with him, and we really didn't get along. He was like, kid, you got to learn to give me a log page once in a while, which is like, you know, a page where it's like, it's really dark. You're in an elevator shaft and there's no light. Like, you know, so you can just do black, black, black. Um, And um, the irony with Greg is that I would give him that page and then he would draw every gear of the elevator (laughs) and all that stuff anyway. Um, But this was a log page where it was like Batman's hand comes out of the sand, meaning it's all just color. Like, you don't have to draw it. color, just, just, yeah. Right, and the amount that he's put into it in terms of every grain of sand and the kind of drama of that hand coming up yeah. is so intense that you're just like, this is a special book. So I'm really proud of it. Uh, I'm not supposed to say, but it comes out in spring. So we're going to announce it really soon. Awesome. Um, and it's three 50-page um, chapters. And then we jump right on to the next thing we're doing. We have both, yeah, creator-owned and DC stuff lined up. So. Ask, um, just, do you know about the uh, the size of the book? Is it going to be like the way yeah. it's kind of oversized? Or it's, gonna be it's, its, own? it's scheduled to be oversized. Greg, you know, when he first saw that, I think he was also like, that's fine, but I'm fine having it be regular size. So I'm going to sort of let them handle that. I think right now it's still planned on, I think it's still um, slated to be that size in that format, but that might, that stuff, I, if that needs to change, then I'm up for it. Sure. You know, for me really it is, telling a story in a different way than we have both yeah. in terms of the production of it, but also in the narrative, the narrative is really different. It's really elliptical. I mean, it's like very, it has chapter breaks where there's a black page and it will say um, like the cave and then it will be five pages and then a black page that says the signal. And it's like, so it's, it's really um, deliberately sort of off putting and choppy. Awesome. So I want you to feel like Batman waking up. So it's everything about it. I want to feel different and surprising. So wow. that sounds awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks. I was going to ask, it's funny. You talked about your creator and work, your, the, the, the aspirations for the next creator own work thing. Cause I was going to say like, you know, you've been writing these like universal spanning stories that kind of changed the landscape. You flipped the DC universe upside down, literally recently <laughs> and just, and then toured a new a-hole and now it's like, do you miss the little stuff where it's like some some girl got like carved up in an alley and Batman's got to or anyone's got to like go yeah. figure it out? Like, do you miss that like kind of gritty, like just get back to the like it, it, I almost feel like it's kind of a little, little bit infused into your work a little bit like where Gordon's just like, there he goes. I got yeah. going down over here. That's really cool, <laughs> but it's too small. Yeah. No, I, I mean, there's I miss that. It goes back to what I was saying about creator owned. I mean. I, I do feel a lot of pressure right now, but I really welcome, I mean, like, I'm not, this is not a position that I, like, I looked for, and it's not a position that I feel like I have, I'm not, I'm not built for it for a really long, like a long time, meaning I'm not, my, my goal is not to ascend the ranks of corporate DC and become, like editor-in-chief or whatever. No, I have no, no, no ambitions in that uh, direction. I have no ambitions towards you know, television or film or that stuff. I mean, I've done little, little things and, you know, uh, animation and games and stuff that are, that's fun to, to dabble in with them. But, the overall, like my, honestly, my, the thing that I get the most wistful about is having the time to build stories that are my own or do things like you're saying that are 
are small and experimental as well. Um, I love the big stuff. I mean, I love, I, you know, I'm as happy as a clam doing metal and all of that, but I need a balance. And I, the, that period I was telling you about where I was really having difficulty and I had that argument with Dan, yeah. it was yeah. a period where I did not have creator owned and I was doing Superman Unchained and Batman. And it was before we started doing the wake and it was American vampire was sort of in a break and, so it was, it was that where I felt like wholly always corporate and that. Yeah. So I'm, right now I'm older and I'm willing to, to do that. And I enjoy it tremendously because all the pieces are suddenly available as well. Um, given the sort of plans that we have and the, the allowances that they've made for me and the, the generosity that DC has sort of, um, you know, extended to me with stuff. But um, so it's not a position that I see, you know, I'm not like, hey, I'm going to be in this pole position thing for 15 years and do a million events <laughs> and so on. I'm, I really do. I, I love doing that small needlepoint stuff. And I love also even more than this. Like I miss the small stuff, but I mean, Batman laughs has that feel. It starts with, um, I mean, it's big, yeah. but it, it is, it's me and Jock. I mean, even Jock, Jock's art constrains it and grounds it in a way that I think creates this great tension. I mean, it's about again, spoiler, cause why not? Right. Mm -hmm. It, <laughs> It opens with um, Batman on this case. For, it opens really with him saying to you, the reader, what's your happiest memory? Like your absolute, if you could pick one. And he's like, mine is actually my first. And you see this, he's like, I'm four years old and I'm running down the hill behind the manor. And Alfred and my parents are there. This is actually one of my, one of my first memories um, with my, my parents and my grandparents. And I, uh, he says, uh, their arms are all linked and they're, and I'm trying to get through their arms and go into the house. And they, they hold me out there. Every time I kind of crash against their arms, they hold me there. Um, so that I have a few more minutes of summer before I go into a dark and empty house all alone. Um, and then it, as he says that you're looking at the house and then it turn the page to page two and there's a house. And all of a sudden Batman comes crashing through the house on a giant bat tank. motorcycle. <laughs> And he's like, Alfred, I'm in, you know, <laughs> and it, you see, uh, uh, Batman is chasing a truck that has row, uh, historical row houses on it. It's a big, heavy load truck. And these, these thieves are pushing the houses off, trying to stop Batman on the freeway. <laughs> um, so it's super, I mean, the rust just fell off. I really, I was like, I don't know, you know, I haven't written Batman, Batman in a while, yeah, like, yeah. Batman. And the second I started doing it, I was just like, I love this. I love doing it so much. <laughs> And so he's going through these houses and just like busting through them and uh, trying to get to these thieves. And he, he explains to you in narration, he's like, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been trying to bust this ring of thieves for a while. They basically, they use these trucks that carry extremely heavy loads and have this kind of cushioning within the, the flatbed um, to conceal the fact that they're actually smuggling stuff out of Gotham within those compartments. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I think they're, lately I've heard they're smuggling um, bodies that are slated to go to Potter's Field um, out for ex like lab experiments elsewhere, meaning Gothamites that die unidentified. And he's like, nothing is more offensive to me than people who have lived and died in the city, you know, and the city hasn't been kind to them, not being granted the final kindness of being laid to rest in the shores. The Potter's Field is in this really nice slope that looks over the bay and goes back to how the five families and Gates of Gotham and some of the early stuff I did yeah. set up and Everything is connected to the early stuff that we did. But anyway, so he gets into the truck 
beats up the dudes. He has one of the worst, best one-liners I think I've ever written. It's probably the worst one-liner that I've ever written, but I love it. Um, basically, Alfred. I won't. I won't spoil it. I won't okay. Spoil it. All right. Yeah. Hold. Hold it. You, you'll know what it is when you see it. Oh, I, I feel like I. Yeah. I. I I'm probably because I, I feel like there's a cut. You, you do that. You'll. You'll be like. Here's a little wink and a nod for you. Like, will justice harder? You know, you're like, yeah, wink. it's exactly that kind of line. It's okay. exactly that kind of line. It's like, this is so stupid, but why not? Why not make uh, Batman? He's say talking. It? To, I'll give you a hint. He's talking to Alfred about Alfred is like Gotham banks really should start giving Batman insurance, um, you know, to people because he's busting through these homes and, and is he's like, they do actually have a Batman policy. And then he says what it is and joke. Okay. But the um, uh. He busts open the truck, he opens the truck, and he finds a compartment, it's a coffin in it, he opens the coffin and he finds a dead Bruce Wayne. And when he autopsies the Bruce Wayne, because he sneaks in and pretends to be the autopsy, the mortician at the morgue, mm-hmm. and uh, all of that stuff is disguise, in his disguise, um, he finds that this Bruce Wayne is a few years older than him and retired after he wasn't able to recover from Bane breaking his back and instead he married Selena and had a child and he deduces all this because he sees that Bruce Wayne, this Bruce Wayne has a tattoo on his arm that says May and that's the name he was going to give his, he would have suggested for a daughter if he had one with Selena. Mm. And so it's really dark and yeah. personal. And then, uh, from there, you know, so what I'm saying is it's, I am getting to do a small right. detective story and yet at the same time, the next scene is like Batman who laughs comes in. He's bringing a new dark Knight Who's essentially Bruce. If Bruce used lethal force and they're going to use all kinds of crazy ass Iron Man stuff to beat Batman. And yeah. so it still has the, it still has the, the bombast and the yeah. kind of, I think the out of control sort of muscularity of some of the stuff that I enjoy like metal, sure. but it is, it's constrained by Jock's art in a way that I love. And it's meant to be, yeah, sort of a, uh, I think uh, a successor to the stuff that we did very early on, Gates of Gotham, Black Mirror. Yeah. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, I'd like one Good. of the questions that is. These just kind of came up. Um, they're revitalizing Vertigo. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're a prose writer. You love this kind of like mystical nature of you know introspection and and, and humanity. I'm surprised to not see your name on any of the books. Was well, I'm something... doing American Vampire. Well, so, okay. the... I mean, I mean, I'm talking about like the, I'm I'm more talking about like the game and stuff, like the books. Oh yeah, games. yeah. Like, is that something that it would have that would have appealed to you? Did they? Did you ever say like, hey, you know, I'd do something like, or was it kind of just like, oh, just I can't, I have too many things, I can't even. It's I, I both. I mean, I would do it in a second, but um, I. The, the project, the Sandman project in particular, was really meant to sort of be, I think, a launching pad for voices that are are, are new and have really fresh takes on a lot of that material. And okay. I didn't want to push my way in and be like, you know, let me do this. And I'm a very known writer. Right. In this. A bunch of new voices. And Scott Snyder, too. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was part of it, I think, was taking people who, you know, are going to sort of have really new exciting approaches to, and, and create new sort of mythological neighborhoods within that, yeah. um, within that whole, um, sort of world that, that sort of you, you, that you wouldn't expect. And for me to come in and do it when I've sort of was touching on it metal and, you know, my, my take is also, 
you know, I think more classic. I, I, I didn't want to impose, but I, I mean, I'm very committed to Vertigo. I mean, American Vampire, again, this is probably something I shouldn't say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that uh, next year, um, or the end of next year, essentially into 2020, uh, will be the 10th anniversary of the beginning of American Vampire. And so we're developing um, a new way of publishing it where we're not going to do um, sort of a serial every month American Vampire uh, issue just because I think it's it winds up being self-defeating with the kind of the way Rafa and I like to work. Yeah. And I think the market itself right now is is changing a lot. Um, so will we, will, And I have so many different pressures that doing something that's sort of serialized and, you know, uh, propulsive that way feels, I don't know, just feels, we've done it so much on the series that I want the same kind of freedom that I have with Greg on the Black Label book with it, with Rafa. Yeah. So we're going to do a very big, a very big um, installment that's basically the equivalent of almost eight issues. So it's going to be like 160, 170 pages. Nice covers 1976, 1977, and kind of brings you up to the present as well. It's like the coda brings you up to the present, but it's very, very kind of paranoia of the 70s, the omen, evil Knievel, Vegas, it's all over the place, but it's got everybody in it from Gus to Cash to, I mean, from Gus to uh, Travis to Abelina, every, every character that you like, even Book is back in it, Skinner, Pearl, obviously. So picks up with them, yeah, uh, almost 10 years after the last time you saw them. Um, but it's going to be sort of one big robust installment like that you can pick it up and be like, so yeah, so I'm, I'm hugely excited about what they're doing at Vertigo. Mark Doyle, um, the head editor there was he and his wife, Janine were the people that brought me into comics. He was the editor that came to a book reading that I was doing and approached me and said, are you, I hear you're a comic fan did you ever want to, do you ever want to pitch? And I was like, I have comics in my backpack. I would love to pitch, you know? And <laughs> the funniest awesome. thing about it, like not, I've told this story before. So if anyone's listening and has heard it, forgive me, but, um, he and Janine approached me separately and I started pitching to both of them. She was at Marvel and he was at DC. Mm-hmm. So, um, I started working for both of them. I did a little bit for Marvel and a little bit for him. And, uh, I remember I would complain to him and be like, you know, my Marvel editor doesn't really give me notes. And all of a sudden I get all these notes from her. And then and I'd say to her, I never get called back by my DC editor when she'd ask how it was going over there, but everything else is good. And then all of a sudden he'd call and I didn't realize they were dating at the time. I just thought they had randomly been at this thing at the same time because they were hiding it too. So it was hugely embarrassing in the way that I was the least Batman sort of person possible right. in terms of my detection skills. But they are two of my best friends and my wife is really good friends with them too. And so, yes, I'm deeply committed to what they're doing at Vertigo and he also runs black label. So that's why, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, 10 years plus friends. So very much a believer in his vision for both things. Um, you mentioned, uh, this is just, you know, spitballing, just like looking at the future. You're talking about how you've got a three year kind of plan. You're thinking maybe, who knows about the future, but you've got this, you've got this big body work that's coming and it's that you're, that you're executing right now. Um, do you have a big Marvel pitch in your back pocket? Yeah, I have a few. I have, I have a, a, I have a Hulk one. I pitched to Greg already. 
Really? But I was like, Greg, I pitched it to him a little while ago. I was like, I know what we would do if we went to Marvel. Because I had two pitches. I have one that's sort of out there. It's kind of zany. I have a Spider-Man pitch, which is, you know, I think would be a really fun Spider-Man story. A big, It's big. It would take me a good year plus to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to do that with Greg because I think he would kill on Spider-Man. Oh, but yeah. Has he? I've, I think he's only done like maybe like a what if issue or something. Like he's never really done like a. No, he he's never he's never sort of dug his heels in, you know, or dug his dug his gotten his hands dirty with Spider Man. But the um, the thing I know he would really, I mean, so the so the my first crazy pitch is I ha- I do have a I have a story that involves Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Captain America. <laughs> it was like them as a team that have have been working together secretly for a while because they all have sort of long extended histories. Sure. And you know, go back in time and all that stuff. And they also all ride motorcycles, which is part of my pitch with right. it. Which is it, so it's it's super, you know, it's super fun and kind of out there, but uh it it has to do with this kind of villain in the past they fought and now is back and ties to stuff and kind of big Marvel continuity. So I always, I have that as what, but then I was like, I had this idea where I was like, Greg, I know what we would do if we just did a singular run, we would do the Hulk. Really? It was like Hulk, the Hulk is my jam. I know what I would do with it. I love what um, Al is doing. Though. Yeah. The Hulk, I think is great. Like it's very similar. It, it is similar to what we would do, except in terms of its horror tone. Yeah. But the difference is um, I love, I, I love how he's making it really episodic and kind of, almost transient the way the Hulk is, you know, place to place like the TV series and the right. geek nod and all that stuff. For us, it would be, a, you know, I'm, I'm more like come in, do the big definitive giant thing. So it would be, it would be called Hulk smash everything. <laughs> like that's literally, that's my title for it. And it's, the Hulk lends himself that kind of title. I Well, my pitch, not to give too much away, but. Well, um, yeah, you don't want to be stepping on it. Well, I mean, I think there, there's one of the things that's interesting to me is that we don't really get into like the bomb that made him a lot. Like, yeah. why, if if the bomb that made him, you know, was capable of sort of mutating him into what he is, what were they developing it for? And is it possible that you know? So it, it goes back to his origins, and yeah. um, it really it it then it sort of gets huge and goes across the whole Marvel universe, but. Um, it really, yeah, it would just be like Hulk out of control, strongest you've seen him, biggest you've seen him, classic, banner turns into him, Hulk smash everything. That's dope, man. Combination, the whole thing. So, Well, uh, I guess that's... That'd be my marble pitch. What's that? That would be my, my biggest marble pitch. But Well, it's a hell... Like, man, I, I've grown to find a huge amount of respect for you as an artist, but also for your work. Um if you're familiar with me in this channel, I've I've been a critic of your work over the past uh, couple of years, and uh, your approach and your not defense but more explanation of it has kind of given me pause every time that I think like oh I don't know or I'm dismissive or I or I'm like <laughs> and so I just want to say like a sorry about bashing on zero year and b um, like. I don't know. I really, I really dig your work, man, and I, I dig your style. It's a, it's like a, there's an earnestness to it that really, I don't know. The, 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 it's, I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I promise. I mean, I'm, I promise you, I, I'm trying my best. Like I, I know, no, it's that's the thing. Like <laughs> even, even like the things that don't hit with me creatively, where it's like, oh, that's just not for me. 
I still recognize its value, and I know that it definitely hits in a big bad way for so many people. And I think that's well, you know, and I, I don't expect all of it to like to to your defense with Zero Year. Zero Year was a story that I knew would be polarizing and divisive and all that stuff. But it's actually I know this sounds like out there, but it is my favorite thing. That we can I know have. you said that, and I was like, really, Zero Year? Like that's your it favorite is. one? Well, it was. It's the moment we tore Batman apart and put him back together our way, and. I knew it wasn't going to be for everybody and that, you know, people would get mad at me and say that I was stepping on year one and all that stuff when, you know, I was, by the way, like at that time, year one was impossible to keep in continuity and because of all the things that had happened with the new 52 and Dan and Jim and everybody really wanted a new origin. I had pushed that off for three years at that point almost um, when they wanted to start Batman, you know, with that sort of um, intensity. but for me, I, I'm so proud of that one because it really was, how do you rebuild Batman from scratch and make him young and different and modern when the, the shadow of year one and that stuff and the darkness of the movies, in, in the best way, looms so large. Yeah. I want it to be like, no, it's, it's colorful and brazen and punk rock and weird and different. And it, it's Batman facing off with all of the, you know, and even his haircut, everything is... You know, trying to put in scenes where it, it references or echoes things that you would see about the kind of, you know, the endless kind of military involvement in the Middle East with the second chapter and yeah. super storms because of the weather balloon and the third and, you know, all of it just, it's something that it means the world to me because it was my take on how I would build Batman as a hero facing off with the fears I see my kids worried about and doing it in a way that was diametrically opposed to my favorite stories like the origins that were done that inspired me and and felt relevant and immediate to me when I was you know growing up in New York and was my kids age yeah so I I I really to this day I still I still find it to be my favorite thing and I I do feel it's one of our best our best things but I, I completely also understand how it's like you know um not only imperfect but not not for everybody and if i did something that's for everybody i mean you know that's what i love about the guys working right now and the, the women working right now in dc and in comics in general like you know willow and, and oh, yeah. tom and kelly sue and bendis and yeah. you know josh and james i mean none of us are doing stuff that's for everyone yeah that, no, that'll it's yeah. it's reaching, you know. It's hitting people, and it's hitting people that you'd never, you never expect, and that you like you wouldn't expect to see in this world. It's bringing in new people. I didn't think I even got really everything. It didn't click for me until you told that Grant Morrison story about how it's like, give him a birth, give him a death. That that whole thing kind of like crystallized it for me, where I was like, holy shit. <laughs> well, well, there's the things he. I'll tell you this. Like, this is why. I mean, like that story for me. It, ha- it was the moment I realized you could also have tremendous fun on Batman and make right. him something. Because we had done, you know, Court of Owls, which was like my, if I only get one chance to ever write Batman, this is the story. And that was deeply about, you know, um, I, I had thought of it, you know, when I was up doing Detective. Um, so it was 2009, 2010. You know, I had one, one kid. Um, I was, you know, you're talking 10 years ago. I was younger, yeah. <laughs> more naive. And it was at the age, I was at that age when all my friends were having kids and moving away from my old neighborhood. And so that story was very much about coming home and realizing the city 
is made up like the city your neighborhood isn't just the stores and the things that you recognize it's the lives led alongside yours and that connectivity and once those people leave that moment is gone and your neighborhood will never come back and it's it disappears yes. and so the owls are the representation of that writ large where they say not only do you only know the city for a moment batman but we're going to weaponize it's in all the things you don't know about its history it's you know all of that stuff and so zero year for me was very much about saying to my kids batman can make you brave in the face of the things i know that you're afraid of you're 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 frightened of uh and i put that was the that was the first time i put words into his mouth that were very close to the things that I've said at my worst times where he says to Alfred at one point, you know, um, when my parent, cause he has almost kind of a, a, a reaction when his parents die. If you remember that he sees the kids in his class all have bullet holes in their heads and that kind of stuff. And, you know, at one point he says, I, you know, I'll tell you something, Alfred, I, I went to Arkham when I was not doing well as a kid and I, I paid the doctors there to just, I wanted them to just shock me and shock me until I was either better. Or I was not myself. Like I was either someone else that I had never, you know, I was gone or I was fixed. I needed to just go offline and have somebody tinker in my head and just make me better or change me into someone else. And that's it. And I remember, you know, saying those very words when I was at a, my blackest, points before I was in comics and that stuff in the past as a kid or not a kid, but a young adult. Um, and so it was a, a story for me that was like, this is, it was the first time I really took the reins and said, I'm not just going to sort of make it personal, but I want it to be something that my kids can read and see. This is, this is Batman showing me how to be brave and how he also showed my father, you know, how to do that. And so I, I love it. I really do. And I love, I also just love the designs. I love the designs are dope, man. Like, well, I mean, you couldn't have done worse than <laughs> you couldn't have done better than working with, with Capullo and, yeah. and, uh, and, and so. doing this like beautiful hodgepodge of like what came before and what you'd never seen before. You know, that, that image, that uh, recreation of, of tech 27, where he's yeah. just like, it's one of my favorite images he did ever. Yeah. yeah. I, it's funny back when I was like more, you know, judgy and pissed about it. I was like, you know, the, the one thing I could always agree on was like, that was fucking dope looking. <laughs> no, and again, like, you know, I never, I, the thing that I think, you know, especially now in this climate, I think people misunderstand about creators or is that in terms of criticism is that I'm never upset when people give me constructive or thoughtful criticism about the stuff that I've done or dislike it or that, that doesn't hurt me at all. Right. You know, um, it's the vitriol or the cruelty or the, the personal attack that you just sort of recoil from. That's yeah. it. I mean, and it doesn't mean I'm not hurt by it. It doesn't offend me when someone comes into my, you know, space and starts cursing at me or tells me I'm horrible. It just it shuts the conversation down immediately where you're sort of like, now I'm not listening to anything you have to say because you began the conversation that way. Right. But if you come in and you say, listen this is, I really dislike this story because of this, this, and this. I am grateful usually for getting, you know, the criticism. I might disagree with you and be like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but yeah, I just, well. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. Exactly. Um, but that said, 
you know, that's what makes it such a rich community is that people are extremely passionate about these characters and what they think that these characters should be doing, the stories that should be told. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, that's, it's something to be celebrated. So I do feel like we need to be able to have all of the kind of hard discussions and arguments about, you know, where these characters should be, what they should represent, what they aspire to, what they should do or, or should not be able to do or, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, it requires a level of maturity, I think. And it's, you know, it can be depressing right now in terms of the kind of, uh, the kind of discourse that happens, I think, especially in social media. But the fact that, um, you know, your criticism was always thoughtful and, you know, I, it, it helps me be better as a writer. So I'm, always open to it but i will disagree with you about zero year i do love that so right yeah no i <laughs> well when you when you when you distill it into a into a place of like this is very personal to me and this is where it comes from and like it helps to it helps me understand i like to know where things come from sure which is kind of ironic because like you know uh, most of your stories begin with a history lesson about like where something comes from and how it relates to the story overall <laughs> uh, yeah but uh yeah, so like I, I when I find out that a story comes from like a place of, of of you know a personal struggle or some kind of like this is where I was mentally or this is what I was trying to rail against or this is what I was like building towards, it really helps me like kind of take the blinders off and analyze the story a little bit deeper and go like okay well what am I you know what am I griping about the fact that I'm not just reading your one again or is it like <laughs> or is it something fundamentally problematic that really like you know, that I, that I need to see changed, you know, that kind of no, thing. No, it might be, it might be the latter, you know, I mean, I, I think, think, yeah. think um, uh, yeah, I mean, like it might be, it might be on me and I might completely fuck it up. But I mean, I think that the, I think the thing to know, and I, I, the thing I would say also to people that love roasting comics or going out there and being, um, you know, gleefully sort of just gleefully critical. Yeah. Is that nobody makes anything without heart, you know, I mean, Right. Or at least hard for comics. The project might not be the thing that they're able to be passionate about in terms of, you know, infusing it with sort of lots of personal stuff. I had the luxury of coming in with a book career. So, I mean, that was a big part of it for me was that I, I mean, I had fights with DC with Court of Owls early on where I, I, this, I wasn't trying to be self-destructive, but I would come in and say to them, tear up my fucking contract. I don't care. If you change that, or you want, you want that, that thing that you promised me like that I could do. If you make that, so it's not a mystery about being his brother, just walk down the hall, tear it up because I'm going to go out and just say, I didn't write the, those issues, the final issues and we're done. Wow. And those things, I mean, there were a lot of times I look back and I'm like, they should have just fired me. I'm grateful <laughs> to them for not. Yeah. But I had that luxury because I knew I could go back to books and be like, I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising when it comes to, you know, the stories I want to tell. Cause yeah. if I, you know, if I, if I, I have one, I, I just was very, you know, horse blinders on about that. Um, in a way that I look back on and I'm like, I can't believe I was that way. Cause I mean, now I, now I can be that way without any fights. Like, right. cause you know, I've earned, I've earned, a, I've earned, I've earned the elbow room at least to argue why I should be able to do things and you know, whatever. But at that time I was brand new. Um, and the thing I'm trying to say is basically sometimes you don't have the chance to make something deeply personal, but when you start, that wasn't me. I was able to do it because of, again, the luxury of my position. Yeah. 
but nobody is writing anything in comics for anything other than love of comics. They're, they're not doing it for the money because there's not a lot of money in it. Yeah. You know, at least when you start or any of it. So please just have some grace about being like, I'm I'm doing this review and I don't like this book, but the reason I'm doing the review is to, to help this person see what could have been better, not to be like, ha ha, this is a bad book and I'm going to make fun of it because that shit is just useless to me and just winds up, it comes back, it comes back to bite you in the way that all the, you know, you wind up being somebody who nobody will listen to in some way. And that, that stuff, I just wish I could, I wish I could caution people because so many of the critics that I listen to coming up, like Joey Esposito, Meg Downey, people like that. I really, yeah. And like you, like if you went and wrote things now, like, I mean, wrote, you know, like actual yeah books or whatever. Yeah. I'd be first in line to be like, that guy's really thoughtful, thoughtful about narrative that, you know, and, same with like Joey Esposito, Ryan Lindsay, like they, you know, those some a couple of them were got into my class. And they were That's people awesome. that were critical of me, you know. And the same thing, like David Brothers, he was the first person to really bash me online when I was starting, but he bashed me in a way where he he pinpointed something I repeated in my writing over and over and over. And I was like, My God, he's totally right. And I hired a PR editor on witches. So yeah. you know we want that stuff and it's it's part of us making each other better you know as creators as readers as fans as all of it yeah but the ugliness right now is at a level that's really rough it's it, it feels suffocating yeah it's just i mean it's everywhere it's not just in comics it's just i just everybody we're, we're all it's so divisive and you know, I, I, I look. I, I maybe I contribute to it. I mean, I'm certainly I'm vocal about the things that I disagree with. But that said, I try and keep an open channel, you know, for conversation about all of it. And I'm willing to have those difficult, you know, conversations about things that are uncomfortable about all of it. It's yeah. just, I don't know. I it's it's such a it's such a strange time. But I think the need to make the community better the books better, all of that stuff we all feel. And, and ultimately, um, you know, nobody, nobody is here for any other reason at the end of the day than love of comics. I just did a video on that channel and I started about new voices and, you know, it's people from kind of all different uh, neighborhoods of comics. Some of them are, it's four different writers. One is, is a little bit mainstream. One is, you know, very, very sort of invested in personal indie stuff. And they're, I mean, they're dabbling in all different, each of them is dabbling in different things, but they're, they're sort of, they, they span a, a, a pretty broad, um, I think, uh, stretch of comic, you know, comic, uh, uh, sort of creator dumb. Uh, and the point of the video is basically like, let's talk to each other and you might hate this kind of comic or this kind of comic. You might hate mainstream. You might hate this. You might love this. You might love that. But like the connective narrative between all of them is how much they've given up or the kinds of, the kinds of sort of risks you have to take, the kind of, you know, jobs you have to take on the side, all the things you have to do to break in, you know, earnestly that prove no matter what kind of comics you like or no matter what, you know, your politics, your ideology or any of it, 
you know, nobody gets into it for anything other than love of comics at the end of the day, yeah. you know, that does it or that has any kind of sustainable career in it. So, you know, there's nothing to be that, I don't know, that mean about. Right. You know? You've lent your, you've lent your voice of positivity in uh, a new way that a lot of people on both sides of that discourse um, have sought. And it's, in kind of like my wheelhouse, uh, you've created a YouTube channel where you get to talk about your process, where you get to talk about um, your opinions, and hopefully lend a, a real true voice of positivity and, and kind of transparency about the whole industry. Which, by the way, if you're watching this video, you can check the description box below this video to get a link over there to check out and subscribe to because uh, it's criminally low right now. So check it out and fill it yeah. up because it's... I, I don't know how to do it at all. I'm, I'm like, it's also, I'm the worst YouTuber and I like post... <laughs> But I, I really am committed to it. I'm going to keep posting stuff, and I'm doing a video really soon, like I was telling you about cons and yeah. pro tips about it, about Comic Cons, and it kind of gets into some of the personal stuff I was telling you about, about how they were, how I did them all wrong right. for a while. I'm looking forward to the video also yeah. about corporate that you were talking yeah. about, about selling to corporate. Yeah, um, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do one about um, uh, action and bombast versus emotional conflict, all yes. that. I'm going to do a lot of craft stuff. This so. is yeah, this is actually, it's almost like a window into your classes, kind of, really. It is. It's, it is very much that, yeah. So, it is. I, and I miss teaching those. I just, I'm going to probably do it next year. I just, I couldn't do it this year with everything I have. I have family stuff going on, too, so. Right. You know, but um, what, I'm trying to think of anything I didn't cover with you with all yeah. this, too. Like the, um, yeah, we talked about Drowned Earth and Batman. Earth, Man Who so. Laughs, Witches. Uh, which is all my personal failings and all that kind of <laughs> plus uh here i still i'm still after you i'm still going to convince you one day but it's very I gotta, you know what I, I just have to sit down and just reread the whole damn thing again because it's yeah. uh it's a sprawling it's, epic that uh, it is but i i promise you like i i deeply deeply believe it's like you know um if not our best thing then our i don't know you, you, it's almost like that thing that I was like, you know, you're just like, I'm just going for it. That's right. it. No, you're just I, like, I respect the hell out of that. Well, here, here's the thing, dude. I, I will say this, like a lot, like what I love about like, you know, what Tom is doing right now on Batman, right? For example, it's not, it's, it's not safe. It's not for everybody. It's no. Tom's Batman. And that's Grant. That's what I love about Grant. Grant, mm -hmm. it was, it was not safe it was grant's ambitious crazy batman and i just yeah. read grant's green lantern yesterday actually because uh, i read the script but i read like the actual issue yeah and it is exactly that it is so cool and ambitious and grant and different all of it um so please keep an eye out for that and i've read kelly sue's aquaman too so please keep an eye out for that for um december um but uh I love when people come on a book and just do something. It's like, they're just, you can feel it. You're like, I don't know if this is going to be any good, but they're just going for it. They're you going know? for it. Yeah. And, uh, they're just, you know, they're passionate. And that's, I respond to that deeply because the thing that is the flip side of that is that I can promise you this, like, and this is, I don't mean this in any kind of arrogant way at all, but if I wanted to sit there and write easy Batman stories, I have learned that math like many times over. So I could sit here and be like, you know what? I'm going to do a three week, uh, scarecrow story. I never, never really did scarecrow. Yeah. I don't know how to do the costume from the animated series in a closet. 
and then he's wearing this other costume from, and everyone's going to like it because it's going to nod to that. But it's it's a new fear toxin that it brings up different things. And I mean, those are great, you know, Yeah. but that would, you know, and then just be like, and now I'm going to do, I never did a a Bane story. I'm going to do a two issue Bane story. And I mean, that stuff would be a lot of fun if you really were like, these are my passion stories. And I I did a little bit of that on all-star actually. That was kind of my, you know, my, um, my tree house for that stuff. Yeah. But with like gentleman ghost and, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that was like how I still wanted to be like, how do I do grindhouse John Romita crazy ass? Yeah. Like each thing was, again, it was, how do I do it in a way that is, makes me exciting to me. Right. But the, the point I'm trying to make is the opposite, which is, I promise you, I don't feel as though, at this point in my career, I, 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 I need to keep myself exciting all the time to be able to do it to a level of competency that would be lucrative and to just do it. Yeah. And that's it. But I will never let a comic out the door. And I mean this on my children who are asleep upstairs right now, like all of it. I will never let a single comic out the door that I don't feel is the best that I can do ever, ever. And I have not, I, there's not one, I mean, I've, there are things that I have co-written where I've seeded things and it's been better than I could do by the other person, or sometimes it hasn't worked all that stuff. And sometimes I've completely screwed up, but I have never let something out the door where I did not be like, I cannot do any better on this than I am doing now. I promise. And I, I that's the one thing that I, I, I will, it just will never happen. I, I will quit before I will let that, I will become that thing that's like, eh, I'm just churning it out. Right. You know? And at this point, what I would say is like doing those things would be easy and it would be lucrative to be able to be for a lot of us, for yeah. Tom, for me, for Brian Bendis, for, you know, uh, you know, on and on and on for Jeff, yeah. for, you know, but the thing I respect and love about Jason Aaron, about, you know, all of them and Kelly is that, you know, you go in there and you're like, I need to stay exciting to me. You know, it's not a calculated thing where you're like, what, what is the math by which I stay exciting to fans and make money? Yeah. It's how do I stay fresh as a writer to myself? And that challenge is something that keeps you going and, and makes you feel like, you know, that's why that, that, that was the thing was I, zero year was the moment for me on Batman where I knew I was safe and I could play it safe and I could be like, no, I'm not going to do the origin. I'm going to do, you know, uh, death of the family went over. Well, everything was like, you know, here I had some small stories and it was like, I can just do these, but they weren't as exciting to me as the idea of doing what Grant said. Gotcha. It's that or super heavy or whatever. I'd rather, yeah, Super Heavy doesn't get enough credit, man, by the way. Uh, my wife loves I, – I liked it too, but my wife is like, Super Heavy is my favorite story. Oh. Like, I don't think it got enough time to grow because like Gordon Batman is a great concept and it's a terrific pitch and it's just like it should have had another arc. Oh, there's there, – believe me, like I – there was no way they'd let that go longer than it. I, I got the most out of it that I could in terms of – they were like, you have eight months and I was like – can I please have like 10 months? And they were like, no. And then I just wrote it. I kind of wrote it anyway, being like, well, these two months are, you were bringing that. So, I mean, there was no way, I mean, I would have done it for a year and a half if I could, but I love the scene of 
Joker and Batman on the bench is one of the things that, to me, even if um, that arc, like even if people hated that arc, which they like weirdly, I kept. I mean, I'm always ready for them to hate this stuff. Like one of the things that's so weird about our my time at DC, I think, is that you know I've been lucky enough that I feel like things have been pretty well received. Yeah, but. You know, when I look back at it, each one of those things was a big risk. Like, you know, at the time when I was doing them, I th- I always thought we were going to jump the shark. Like from Black Mirror, where I was like, Jane, uh, Jim Gordon has a son and he's a psychopath. I was like, people are going to turn on me, right? Yeah. And then I was like, uh, Court of Owls, not only is there an organization that Batman doesn't know about that's hundreds of years old, but he might have a secret brother that <laughs> Dwayne's, you know, and like, Alfred Stat Jarvis was involved. And I was like, they're going to hate me right now. Done. Out. And, the, you know, and the same thing with Joker. I was like, his face is cut off. And he cuts everybody's face. And this. And then Zero Year, I was like, they're definitely going to hate me. And, you know, Super Heavy, yeah, Endgame. Endgame was the only one where I was like, this is the, you're not going to hate me. I'm giving you, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I always, because when I was doing Death of the Family, I knew I was going to do Endgame. And I was like, this is the one that's going to be, like, set up the whatever. But with Super Heavy 2, I was like, they're definitely going to fucking hate me on this one. But I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Right. So now that it's all over and it went over pretty well, people, you know, I think a lot of the time, they're very kind about all of it. But yeah. I was really okay with people if they didn't like it because I, I loved what we were doing all along. I mean, I, you know, I knew and I knew it was flawed and not for everybody and all that stuff, but... I believed in it. And the thing I'd say again, going back to that point, not to talk your ear off and no, yeah. All hey, this, listen. Just that, um, the same thing that the people that you get angriest at, you know, or that you love the most and all that are, it's usually the same person half yeah. the time. Those are the people that, you know, you should at least give a second of pause when you, when you think about, you know, getting, furious about or whatever because they clearly are trying to write things that matter to them despite the fact that they have probably learned the sort of you know um, calculus of comic writing or of the character they're on well enough to feed you stuff that's just good right. you know just sort of safe good I can, stuff safe seen, like, yeah, I can write I promise you I can write safe good Batman it would be fun for three, four years, easy. Yeah. I, I could write you, you know, hey, let's bring, I never wrote Rachel Ghoul. I never wrote, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are tons of characters. Like, yeah. I could do a four-issue arc just about Black Mask, you know what I mean? But the, the problem is, I really, and I say this to my students all the time, you have to go in there being like, there are thousands of people that would cut my throat figuratively for this job. What is the one story you would feel guilty not telling if you had the chance to tell them to, that's it. Even if it's the one that would ruin your career, if people don't like it, who cares? What is that? And I promise, like, so I, I have a thick skin. I mean, I, I, you know, I have my moments, but I have a thick skin in the way that I believe in the stuff I'm doing. I, I've never, I've never, like every arc, I can tell you what it's about on a personal level. Death of the family is about fear of being a father. You know, end game is, literally about all the fears that keep me up at night today, you know, where Joker voices them. He says, 
you know, what if everything you do, what if, you know, all the things you think mean anything or matter don't. And all this stuff is, you know, I'm, I'm forever, you're nothing, you're a speck. Yeah. Um, and, you know, each one of them, super heavy, same thing. You know, what happens to Bruce, all of it. And, you know, Gordon was, Gordon becoming Batman was how I felt on Batman at that time. All of it was personal. So I'm, I'm always ready for people to dislike it as long as they have, you know, because I know they love the character and that's where it's coming from, yeah. of what character I'm on. Well, but I ask if, if you're going to come at me and, or at anybody, not even me, I don't, you know, yell at me or curse at me or whatever. But if you're going to go after somebody in comics and be like, I really hate this, know that they made it out of passion and please say something that's constructive. Right. And that, because the, usually they will write back to you and be like, thank you. You know, I, I will. And like, if you, if, I, I, I promise I, if people say things to me that are critical about stuff that I'm doing or I've done and it has a, a thought, you know, it's right. like, this is why yeah. I always will write back and say, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm sorry I didn't do it for you, but I appreciate your criticism and whatever. It's, yeah. it's funny how like, well, like history rewards the risk takers. I feel like if, if you were to spend six months to three years writing safe stories about your favorite characters that are crowd pleasers, yes, they'd be pleasing them in the, in the, in the interim, but they'd be forgotten. They'd, oh, they'd, they'd be full of, they'd be those long box stories that you get for a dollar where you're like, oh, look, like Batman fights the Mad Hatter. Like, okay, I guess I'll read that. And you finish it and you're like... I, I guess that was worth a dollar. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of, yeah, you're, you're cemented in history by making the, the, these kinds of bold changes, even if it's like, not even changes, but just, just decisions where it's like, holy shit. Did you remember this part? Like, do you remember when the justice league formed a giant robot and punched Mongol in the face? Like <laughs> you'll never forget that. Even if it's like, if you think that's really stupid or you think that's really awesome. It's well, I think I'm, I'm sugarcoated or I'm kind of, I have a, a certain like layer of protection that has to do with both loving like huge bombastic stuff like earnestly so that I'm, I'm willing to go for the like big crowd pleasing crazy. Um, but also I think I'm protected by the, the fact that I was always willing to leave. Like I was saying earlier, if I didn't do what I want with it. Um, but again, like you're saying, I think, uh, you know, the the what I'd say to aspiring writers out there is that not only if you not only should you kind of swing for the fence because if you don't you kind of make forgettable stuff but um, you feel it in your gut when you're not doing things that are you know I, I would rather go out I don't know just you know you know in your heart when you're you, and you make excuses right and left because I've been there in in the book world I, I went through some rough times when I was breaking in and I was doing a lot of stuff that I felt like I was, I was making these justifications where I was like, well, if I just make this more commercial for them, then they'll let me write the book that I want down the line. And sometimes you have to do those things. I understand. But that said, it's easy to fall into a pattern where you then never break out of it. You know, and you never just say, I have to now write the thing that might make everybody at this company hate me, but it's my thing. And if you, you know, when you do it and you, you, there's such a tremendous reward, not in terms of, you know, people like, look at Omega Man, like that did, it didn't do well. Right. Yeah. But it, th what it eventually did was it got Tom Batman. <laughs> yeah. 
it, because like, people were like, it was critically well received and people that loved it, loved it. Yeah. So it was, he always jokes. He was like, I wrote the lowest selling book at, at DC and it got me the highest selling book. Yeah. Um, but it's true. Like the rewards in terms of your soul and <laughs> in terms of your, your, your pride as a creator are immeasurable. Yeah. Like when, like I wrote something that, you know, I, I can stand by and say, this is who I am, you know, and that's it. And, yeah. you know, in that way, like, again, I, I have that kind of coding cause I, I love the big crowd pleasing stuff. And again, like I've had the luxury of being able to kind of push DC away when I wanted. Um, but you know, I, I would still say to anybody that's starting to pick up my stuff or any of that, that for all of it's kind of like, Hey, you know, here's Batman with a kryptonite gum spitting in Superman's face, crazy, you know, all that fun stuff, uh-huh. which I love. Um, there isn't a story that I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you where I was in my life when I wrote it and what it's about in that way. And that's what I would say to anybody that gets a chance to write too for, for comics. And one of the things I try and do on the channel that I, you know, that I started is sort of echo this advice in, in terms of craft over and over again um, and conversations with other creators, but mostly what I'm going to focus on is craft and be like, this is how you, these are, these are the things that the comics need mechanically, you know, to, to sort of just work page one to page 22. Right. And these are the ways you use those things to be able to put in what you need to put in to be, you know, uh, uh, fulfilled as a writer, whether those things are confluent, which they are sometimes, yeah. you know, and it's beautiful when they leave you alone and let you do all things at once that are synergistic. Or here's how to give them what they want and what readers want, what fan, what, what editorial wants and backdoor Trojan horse in the stuff that matters to you in that way. Because if you don't have that, ultimately it's, it's soul crushing, you know, in that way. So I just, I don't know. I'm a big believer in finding a way of um, taking the risk to make it yours, even when it screws it up, you know, cause it's better yeah. in the long run. I mean, like, you could tell, you know, your passion for the craft is what, like, fuels you, and it should if you want to make your own. I mean, we're basically talking about craft now, and I, I we will have to wrap up because it's getting late and you have children, and I, I understand yeah, that. No, I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, we, we could soon. But, I mean, again, like, going back to what you're saying, like, the the craft stuff is the stuff that, like, I, I, I'm a total, you know, I'm just a total wonk about. I love, I mean... I, I just, I love picking apart what works in a comic that I enjoyed and, and all that stuff. I mean, I went to writing camp as a kid, you know, I mean, that's how lame I was, <laughs> but the, that, that idea that you can learn something like three act structure and then see somebody break all those rules and be like, why did that work? I mean, all that stuff is, it's endlessly, endlessly fascinating to me, you know, how, how a narrative sort of comes together when it completely follows the kind of paint by number stuff that you learn or it, you know, comes together by veering away for reasons that have to do with what it's essentially about. Right. But you know that like the person who breaks that three X structure also knows it intimately. Oh yeah. It's not just like write the most wonky bombastic thing you can possibly imagine. And who cares about story and character or anything? It's about like knowing how to write and how write a good and write a story or know the structure, you know, and then 
break it because you need to know oh, yeah. the rules you're breaking. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And that, I mean, that, that's the thing, like, you know, when I was, when I wanted to be a comic book artist, which was my, like my first passion, right? I was, I was there I, too, man. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I, I kept up with it all the way through um, college. I went to school in Providence. I, I went to, uh, RISD? I went to Brown because RISD was there. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to go to this school and study writing and that school and study il- illustration and be Frank Miller, be Mike Mignola. All that <laughs> um, and then RISD was on a trimester schedule and, and my school was on a, a, you know, a quarterly and it was really hard to coordinate classes. Yeah. So, um, I, I fell out of art and did writing. Um, but one of the things when I started in comics, I was like, oh, I'm going to get back into it. I'm going to draw some of my own stuff. And I remember one day I called Raphael to be like, you know, I think I might do some of my own stuff and whatever. And it was the day that I called him. I heard him like penciling on the phone. I'm like, what are you doing? Are you working on American? Bible? He's like, no, 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 no. I finished the issue. I'm just doing studying. Like, what do you, what do you mean you're studying? And he was like, he sent me a picture and it was just hands. It was just yeah. human hands. And it was beautiful. It was just like hand after hand, different positions, everything. And I was like, I am, I'm never going to be that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not good enough at that. And, and, and that is the, that level of passion for that is what I try and, you know, with writing, yeah. same thing, meaning like, you you're know, writing. Yeah, I'm, 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 whenever I see a movie with my kids that I love or I dislike, why did that work? Why didn't that work? What's wrong with the – why do I love The Last Jedi, but what's wrong with The Last Jedi? Like everything is – it's always that, you know? Yeah. And it's – to me, that clockwork is is inspiring. You know, I, lo- I love that stuff. So, you know, that's what I'd say to people that are looking to be writers out there too because I think there is like a mystique about it that's kind of like – well, if I know enough stories or I, you know, I, I appreciate what's like, if I'm a good critic, I can be a good writer. Yeah. The thing that I would say is that, um, I've seen that, you know, like I've been in many, many workshops with writers and there are people that are incredibly astute critics that are then almost terrifyingly bad writers. And wrote a movie. It ain't great. yeah, and, and you're you're totally baffled by it, where you're like, this person sees everything wrong in my stuff in a way that I, I value. Yeah. Why don't they see that their stuff, you know, has the same problems? Right. Um, and you realize what it is. It's the same thing as like a sport, right? Where you're like, I could. I'm big. We're big hockey fans, right? So I can watch the Rangers play and be like, God damn it! Why didn't he shoot when he shouldn't have shoot? But if you put me in that position, I, I can't. I'm not shooting like I'm. I'm going to fall all over the place, right? I mean, I I can I played a little bit, but I'm like, I'm going to fail spectacularly. And it is that it's muscles. It's it's literally learning the craft and the trade. So anyone out there, what I'd say is, you know, you might know what's wrong with everybody's comic, but what you need to do is just start practicing like it's a trade. You know what I mean? Write your scripts, give them to people you trust understand that there are going to be things that are going to upset you about the things they say, go back over and over and over because we do like I, every single script, like to this day, and I've written hundreds of comics at this point, there is not a script that I write that does not go to James Tynan, Josh Williamson, Tom King, my editors, obviously, but that I send it also to friends of mine who I won't name because I don't want to like blow their cover. Yeah. 
and I'm not supposed to do it anyway, but so sorry, DC. <laughs> I send my scripts to three, uh, two to three people that I trust outside of comics yeah. who are comic fans. So I give to give everything I've written to them. So I have five or six people that are gut checking me right and left all the time. And that's the thing mm-hmm. that you have to be. They can't be people like your mom or like no. some or your girlfriend or whatever. You have to, it has to be somebody you like, or it could be your girlfriend or your wife. But like they have to like be br- they have to be honest with you. They can't be afraid. <laughs> Yeah, I would highly recommend it not being your wife. But yeah, that's the yeah. I I've tried that with my wife a few times, and she's she's very like she's a very objective critic. Yeah, but and like yeah, just I w- I wouldn't recommend it with your like don't don't put that on your mom or your right. wife. Just, <laughs> I just mean like I don't ask somebody who's gonna who's gonna sugarcoat it. You need somebody who's like who you know, you can trust to yeah. tell you it sucks. Yeah, fine. well, and, and in the right way that says, like... Yeah, it sucks. So it's not helpful. It's not going to... Right. You're not and show it to them when you still have time to change it also. But, but, but legitimately, like, you know, again, like, you know, to, to, to this day, I still have all those people in place. So, you know, understand that those of us who do it take it that seriously and take every issue that seriously and are always, always, always working on it. Meaning... There is not a moment like, you know, w- while you're doing, you know, your work, I'm doing this. Like, and while, you know, you're doing that, James Tynan is doing this and Tom King is doing this and whatever. And that doesn't mean you can't be better than us a hundred percent because you can. But what I'm saying is please, when you begin it, understand there's going to be a learning curve. Do, do the work because it's wonderful work. Everybody, I really believe everybody can be a, a, a writer if they want to be. I, I do think that it's something that can be learned to like a level of total competency because I don't think I was very good at it when I started. I think I was, you know, really slow as a learner, but I was extremely dedicated to it. Yeah. Um, but just understand that it is a job like any other job that you need to learn. Whatever you do in your spare time, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a construction, like the time it took you to learn that expect it to take that long to do this you know what i mean it's it's a trade you know and you have to you have to learn the ins and outs of of narrative you know in that way and it can suck it can be rough but it's the best so you should do it the water is great (laughs) i would recommend it to everybody but i don't want to sugarcoat it for people is what i mean you know and i don't want to I don't, I do think that there's a misconception and I don't mean this in any way that props up people that do it professionally. He's like, well, look what we do and whatever at all. All I mean is that it was startling to me how long it took to be able to do it competently. You know, for me, like I was, and and I'm sure most people are probably picking up a lot faster than I did, but the, you, you have to read the books. You have to make sure you, you write this, you know, you write, the drafts, you edit the drafts, you send them to people that are going to give you good criticism, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, and it sucks. That stuff just sucks. All the self-addressed stamped envelopes, hundreds of rejections, like all that stuff is there. Yeah. You know? And that, that's part of it. But then you get through it and it's the best job in the world on the other side. Once you start to recognize, you know, you recognize the, the things that are important to you as a storyteller and you start to measure other things that you love against those, those sort of, um, those, uh, pro, the protractor of that yeah. somehow. Like, and it just, it becomes everything you watch and read is 
newly fascinating, you know? How'd they pull that off? Why that didn't, why that, not, why did that not work for me? What did they do there? You know, all of it just, it's the best. Yeah. So you should do it. Anyone that's out there, you know, that wants to do it, come take my job. <laughs> there you go. He just issued a challenge to you, ladies and gentlemen. Check the description to get more nuggets of wisdom from Scott Snyder on a fairly consistent basis, by the way. Uh, congratulations on getting it all hashed out and thank you making the videos and making them i gotta pick your brain about yeah i don't i know nothing about like how to make it successful it's almost like i feel like i'm the anti you anti youtube channel in terms of like knowing how to make it work i like my consistency is blah 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 is all over the place i'm like learning how to make a video with you know that's exactly how it works i mean like the reality it's not unlike how you described you know like learning how to write it's just like it's just doing like you get if you get hung up on the details you never get started you know um yeah and it's just like yeah i mean we're not anywhere near what (laughs) what our peers are at so it's like you know we're still learning as we go the other thing is do you you know like if your video is like we've seen many successful channels not just like in terms of like comic uh, creators, but criticism and whatnot, who like, you know, some of them film in their car, some of them like have a whole production sure. studio, some of them have like a staff, you know, it's just nuts. But uh, they all like the, the trick is just to be you and just get your voice out there. Just as just as when you're creating any kind of like written work or you're working on a comic book, like as long as your voice is there, you know, and they can hear you, that's all that matters. No, you're right. I'm I'm still gonna hire a staff. That's fair. Yeah. No, you no. definitely want to. <laughs> Well, at least you need, that's the thing. It's like, actually, like, metaphorically speaking, that's true. Like, surrounding yourself with competent people is is like half the challenge. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but I love what you do, man. And again, like, I I really appreciate it. And I I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the the sort of, you know, thoughtful analysis of stuff I've done, of what other creators have done. No, it's been, it's it's been a pleasure having you on here. And, uh, I you know, I can't. Surprised you, you were, you know, you were so like affable about it. Just like, yo, yeah, I'm down. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, anytime, man. And you should have... get the word out. Cause I, I, I find the comic book industry fascinating and I love it. Like, it's one of the first communities that, like, I identified with. And so I have a deep, like, fierce loyalty and passion for the comic book industry and for comics as a thing, as like an entity. Yeah. It's like a religion almost, you know? No, no. I mean, when we moved out here yeah, to Long Island, you know, where I live, like, uh, the first thing that made me feel at home was when I found Fourth World, the LCS, like, that I still go to. And, you know, I, I was miserable. My wife was in medical school. I was a struggling writer. We were in our 20s, you know. So this is long before I got in comics. Yeah. Um, um, but that was the sports bar for me. That was Cheers. Like, I went yeah. there. And I remember the day that I ran in and told Chris and uh, Glenn that uh, I had a chance to pitch. You know, I was like, they couldn't believe it. You know, I was like, give me everything you have on the original Human Torch because that was my my first thing was a one shot for Marvel. Yeah, timely comics. It was like the original one, not Johnny Storm. No, it was the the robot. We have one comic. Here it is. Take it home for free. You know, I was like. So, I mean, uh, no, that is same thing here. I mean, it was, my father got me into it because he thought it would help me become, you know, a, a better reader when I was six, seven years old. And, wasn't wrong. You know, he wasn't. And I, I had a, a subscription, you know, with, uh, to, 
Marvel in DC and he would take me to Forbidden Planet when it was a two level store on Eleventh and Broadway, like every week and you know, and then they opened one on fifty fifth street by the Roosevelt Island tram right yeah. there, you know, because my school bus stopped there. Oh, so it was awesome. just yeah, it was it was, you know, I mean it's been it's been one of the few constants in my life for from go. So it's same thing, you know, religious about it where yeah. it's like this thing, it, like the same when I was at that camp that I was telling you about at the beginning of this interview, I got my comics weekly. I remember that was the first time I read um, Web of Spider-Man, um, Craven's Last Hunt, that whole thing. Like, and I think it had come out, but I started reading it then, which I think it was after the fact. Okay. Um, but I remember vividly being like, Dad, please send me these. And it was, you know, those things like it kept you that serialized what's going to happen next. I love these characters. It just became so much a part of my, you know, what I, what, what joy meant to me, Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a kid and to now that it's just baked in. So hopeless. There's no, <laughs> there's no way to extract it. My wife always teases me. She's like, she's a doctor. She, she just stopped working, but she was a doctor for a while, a long time. And, um, you know, she's like, you have zero life skills. Except, <laughs> like, and I do like, I mean, I love being a father. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I certainly, you know, devote a lot of, I mean, I, I love, I love my family. I love, I love all that, you know, being a dad and yeah. a husband and that stuff. But in terms of like being a handyman or practical life skills about balancing checkbooks or, you know, all of that stuff, like I am the worst. I am a total, you know, it's the total failure. With this, <laughs> like this one little area of expertise, like this is, you know, this is, yeah, it's your church, you yeah. know, it's the thing that you, you just makes you get up and be like, I'm the luckiest guy in the world to get to work in this, this field. And I will do anything I can to make sure that I don't take that for granted ever, yeah. you know, that, that nobody that trains under me or any of that stuff does either. Cause you know, I promise like I will, I, I, I easily would take time off or quit for a while before I would not, you know, be like, this is my A game. You know, you might not like it, but it's, it's my A game. Yeah. Um, and you know, I try, I try and impart that stuff to the people that, that, uh, come up under me that I get to work with both in person and, you know, with the class and then also with the channel. So, yeah. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else you have. I'm not to say that like, you know, it's funny where, you know, it's like, what, what else, what have you done for me lately? But it's like, I'm looking forward to seeing what you've got coming out, coming through the pipe. Um, Thanks. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, your insights and everything uh, off of the page as well. Um, if you haven't already, go subscribe, check it out. And also, of course, pick up uh, Justice League uh, Drowned Earth. Earth, right. Which, uh, which actually, you didn't, uh, this is Tanyan's book. Like his issue. That's right. This issue. Well, he he's like my my little brother. I mean, he was actually my student when he was in undergrad in yeah. college, and then we stayed friends forever. So we've been friends a decade plus. Um, and now we work together in a way with Justice League, where he does the Legion of Doom issues, I do the Justice League issues. So right. he does kind of one for every five that I do. But he's also a huge part of the planning process. So when things like this get expanded beyond the Justice League series itself. You know, he um, I he probably does a better job than me. What he's doing on Justice League Dark is out of control good. And what jo Josh Williamson is doing on, on Justice League Odyssey is, is yeah. crazy good as well. So I'd encourage everybody to pick those up because 
they're independent series that tell their own stories, but they are all going to come together as well in a big narrative. Um, but James to me is like, you know, he's the stuff that like what he's, we, we, there's, there isn't an issue of justice league or drowned earth that we didn't write together in terms of the plot and the story. Right. But, um, some issues he penned, some issues I pen. Um, but he's helped me immeasurably with the issues that I'm solely credited on as well. So, I can't say enough good things about his writing and there's no better feeling than when you like somebody was your student and now you learn from them as a writer. So I give him a ton of credit. He's just a great, the best person, one of the best people I know and uh, you know, one of the best writers I know. So yeah, well check it out. It's out now, uh, which is bad egg is out now. Uh, yeah. Go grab them all. Cause it's cause I've read them all and they're fantastic. Thank uh, you. I'm looking forward to seeing where it's coming, where it's coming and going and man, it's just awesome. But Thanks. Scott, thank you so much for hanging out with me and chatting with everybody here. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, we can do this again sometime. Yeah. Great. Anytime, man. It was a pleasure. I'm always, I'm always around. I'm easy to, easy to reach. And I enjoy this tremendously. And I'm very grateful for you to yeah, you, dude. the support and for, you know, for, uh, for having me on and, and being so passionate about comics in general. Well, thank you. Same to you. And uh, so we'll see you guys next time with another episode of the Elseworlds Exchange. Thanks a lot for watching. And uh, that's about it. So, so long.